0: And we are recording in the middle of this dark, stormy night for the 2021 Embreeze.
1: Hello and welcome. Is this the sixth annual? Is this the sixth one we've seventh? done?
0: Seventh? No, it's the sixth because at the end of the first year we didn't do Embreeze. But basically, mm-hmm. and I had to like look back and actually count and everything, this is the end of our seventh year podcasting and the beginning of our eighth year of podcasting. So my whatever God. you call that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we've been doing this for a while.
1: Well, hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined for this prestigious award ceremony with my co-host and friend Julio. Uh, I can't imagine that we'd get too many first-time listens on this, but who knows? We're covering a whole wide array of film here. Uh, but if you're never listening to The Contrarians, we're just going to give you the truncated spiel here on our award show. On Rotten Tomatoes, uh, there's Certified Fresh and there's Rotten. What we like to do is show that that's a flawed system. Our episodes are traditionally comprised of two sections, the first being Contrarian's Corner, in which we will find one of those Certified Fresh or one of those Rotten films and argue against the critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes in an attempt to show that uh, you know, some of these things aren't as good as some people act, and moreover, uh, you can be as over-the-moon about anything as you'd like to be conversely we'll find one of those rotten films and find its positive merit highlight some of the lost performances or uh, aspects that critics kind of undersold and show you that as has been evident by the eight years seven years we've been doing this excuse me there are some good rotten movies out there and we always in the second half though julio we always talk about how we really feel about these things
0: Yes, on Real Talk, the aptly titled Real Talk, the second half of the podcast, we drop the pretense and we just tell each other how we feel about whatever movie we're talking about. Sometimes it's something similar to what we said in Contreras Corner. Sometimes it's something wildly different and sometimes it's something in between. Sometimes Alex Ray knows how I feel. Sometimes he doesn't and the other way around. Uh, and of course, it's always a surprise or mostly a surprise for our audience None of that is going to be taking place in this episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we usually, we've got our spiel down to about three or four minutes there. I thought, I think we got it in about 90 seconds or two minutes, but whatever the case. (laughs) Yeah, we're here today to reflect back on the past year in film that was The Contrarians. Uh, 36 movies. Julio did the legwork of putting everything together. This is our uh, numeric episodes, our linear episodes, as well as some of our bonus episodes thrown in, not including our Patreon-exclusive episodes. We're going to have a separate remembering of those, uh, but that'll come later, uh, so just stay tuned for that. This is the 36 films that we covered uh, over the past 12 months, and uh, we have several different award categories uh, that we're going to be honoring and, I guess, dishonoring Uh, Some of the (laughs) members of Contrarians canon with today.
0: Yeah, this is, uh, you know, it's funny because as the years have gone by, our awards, the number of awards we give have been, have grown. And so originally it was just the Embrys and way back then, the Connies. Embrys uh, inspired by Ethan Embry's performance in Empire Records.
1: As Mark, a, yes, of course.
0: Yes, a fearless performance. Uh, a young actor just doing what he could to make a mark, regardless of the quality of the movie, regardless of what anybody else was doing. Whatever else you take away from Empire Records, what you remember is Ethan Embry just going out there, putting himself out there.
2: Uh, Empire Records open till midnight. This is Mark. Well, I don't know. I'll have to check. It's the boss.
0: The opposite side of the coin at the time. The first couple of of anniversary ceremonies that we had were the Connies in honor of Scott Khan, uh, Scott Khan's performance in Ready to Rumble. Which Which I did not agree
1: with. Uh, As (laughs) listeners know, I love that movie and Julio did not.
0: Yeah, but but, but you do agree that Scott Khan was very bad and even worse he looks disinterested it's uh, next to David Arquette who David Arquette is doing the Ethan Embry performance there he's just going yes. for it and next to him Scott Kahn is just kind of like we always joke checking his email on his phone <laughs> just reading other scripts that they sent him <laughs> just already planning the his move to one of the Ocean movies hey Gordy yeah why does it look like you have your finger in your butt and so, so it was born that you know the Embry Awards were for the, the good stuff and the Connies were for the bad stuff. Now, as the years went on, the Connies kind of went through permutations because while we stick with Ethan Embry as kind of the symbol of everything that's good, uh, we didn't want to leave it all on Scott Kant's, uh hands when it came to bad stuff. So eventually... Despite after a what our years, shtick
1: is here on the Contrarians, we try not to be too vicious or too negative. That's exactly kind of part of what we do. We try to find the positives and negatives.
0: Yeah, everybody deserves a chance at redemption. Everybody needs to be rotated out. So after a couple of years of Scott Kahn being the butt of the jokes on our uh, anniversary episodes, we moved on to making Ronda Rousey the butt of the jokes for a while. So we had the Rouseys for a couple of years. Kind of like the same thing, inspired by Ronda Rousey's performance in the Entourage movie, which Mm -hmm. was pretty bad for Very. someone that was playing herself it was <laughs> particularly terrible is this a date i don't cook for people trying to pitch me <laughs> whatever i thought a nice normal guy wanted to hang out for once i did i do no one under 250 pounds ever has the balls to talk to me i should have known better No, oh, no it's not like that you should go just see yourself out turtle and then we retire on the rousey as well because it was time to bring a dude back onto the the Bad Awards. And that dude was David Morrissey, due to his performance in Basic Instinct 2, which is a a terrible movie, and he's probably the worst thing about that terrible movie. What's one piece of advice you would give your 16-year-old self?
3: Probably just to relax a little bit more. I was worried that I wouldn't
0: be good enough or accepted. But actually, in the end, all those things were a driving force as well. And that's where we are right now. It's the Maurices opposite the Embrys, and so we're going to have Embrys and Maurices for supporting actor, supporting actress, leading actor, leading actress, and then movie. Mm-hmm. Now, additionally, as we as I said, the, the the awards have grown to where we have extra categories, and those extra categories are uh, the Ruffles, which is the award that we give to the most memorable sex scene. Uh, in the movies that we've covered over the year, inspired by Mark Ruffalo's incredibly sexual performance in The Kids Are All Right. If you've seen The Kids Are Right, then you know what the standard that we're measuring everything uh, to. He's a beast in that movie.
3: (laughs) Thrown for a loop. But I see
0: the Hulk now as kind of my generation's Hamlet. Ah. You know, we're all going to get a crack at it before it.
1: before it's all said and done. Can I tell you something?
0: Then we have the gad. So the gad is mostly based on my love for Josh Gad who's in a lot of terrible movies but he's a great performer and i i feel that nobody really gives Josh Gad the the credit he deserves and so the gad is awarded to a movie that is low on the tomato meter a rotten movie that actually deserves to be reconsidered and actually considered a good movie
1: somehow Josh Gad became like the mascot of our podcast <laughs> <laughs> or the face of it, I should say.
0: Yeah, the, the face, the, the spirit, the soul of the Contrarians. Seriously, you, you sing, you dance, and you, you do my favorite song, which is Gaston. In... Oh,
2: yes. la, in no one.
0: <laughs> No, I didn't know.
2: little preview. That's little a preview. preview. <laughs> no one fights like Gaston. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was great.
0: This year, Alex, we're adding a new category... And this is based mostly inspired by you and, and how I just couldn't stop laughing while I was editing our episode on The Master. Uh, when you said that tickets to The Master came with a gift card to Panera attached to them and, and you were referencing how white a movie The Master is, a movie that we love but undeniably white. A term that we like to throw around here and on the show, and especially Alex, and always makes me laugh, is uh, white people shit, white people problems, prime white people shit. And uh, we cover a fair amount of movies that would qualify, would fall under that category of, of white people shit. So, mm-hmm. inspired by The Master, the Lancaster Dot Grant <laughs> will be awarded to the movie with the i guess the primest white people shit and obviously this year we're not going to give it to the master because you know lancaster Dodd. that's he he's the one that's sponsoring this award but we'll give it to we have plenty of other options so that's Mm. that's new
1: if we meet again in the next life you will be my sworn enemy and i will show you no mercy
0: and then, like you said, Alex, we're going to do something special for the patrons, for the exclusive patron episodes. That's that's on the Patreon channel. If you're a patron, just look for that.
1: So, Julio, uh, I think in the vein of the Academy Awards that usually rotates or alternates, excuse me, with Supporting Actor and Supporting Actress, I'm almost positive we started with Supporting Actor last year. So, this year we will kick it off with Supporting Actress, uh, move into Supporting Actor, and then I thought we would sandwich the... Um, three ancillary awards there but before we got to the real meat and potatoes of actor, actress, and film. (laughs) Sounds good. So then we would be kicking off with supporting actress here. Uh, And before we do, Julio, we might as well, you know, it's on our website, but we might as well go ahead and give a rundown of the films that were eligible for this. And I know you put together this information, so I'll let you take a bow and run down that information now.
0: All right. Our first eligible episode was The Rocker, which I don't know if you remember, Alex, but this was... I wanna say we recorded it right after the election. Like the the latest presidential election.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, it it's I mean, if you guys listen to the episode, it's you can tell. I mean, we can't not talk about it. It's not like we do the whole episode about the election, but it's it just permeates that we have that whole thing, that whole feeling of, you know, it's done. <laughs> we got through the election and and it's still tense and I remember one of the reasons we Loved this movie so much was, or we we enjoyed this movie so much was because it was what we needed at that time. So the rocker,
1: not it's what we needed, not what we deserve, but what we needed.
0: Exactly. So yeah, if you if you get on your Delorean, you're gonna travel all the way back to the first eligible episode for this for this ceremony, and it's the rocker, followed by Euro Trip, and then Greener Grass. And <laughs> remember the times of Greener Grass. <laughs> then no. Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> Goodwill Hunting, which we did with uh, David from the Franchise Killer podcast. Uh, then Howard the Duck, which we did with Sam Hurley from uh, Movie Reviews and 20Qs. Uh, Whiplash, which was requested by uh, Katie and OT from Four Year Reference podcast. Titanic, and, and Alex favorite. And then we started the erotic thriller from the 90s arc with Jade. Uh, Alternated with Beasts of No Nation uh, Dan Brennick pick Then we did Robocop Then we did Indecent Proposal Another sexy thriller Uh, Then patron Ben Murray Requested Sling Blade Uh, Then we did Marriage Story Once again we hit Rock Bottom maybe with Showgirls Uh, Then (laughs) patron Paul From Filmbusters requested a Brazilian movie Then we did a a movie that was a long time coming, The Wrestler.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: We closed our uh, erotic thrillers arc with Crash, the 1996 David Cronenberg movie, not the Oscar winner. Next, our live stream for The Cure entry for this year was The Happening. Then we did Tango and Cash, requested by Jamie Russell. Then Grudge Match, another kind of like a long time coming movie. Uh, Then we brought Dan Brennick into the show. Uh, once again, for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, a much better movie than uh, the last one he did with us, which was Mute. Next, uh, Katie and Oti requested Daddy Daycare, uh, which we followed up with Friday the 13th, Part 7, Jason Takes Manhattan. That was 100% Part 7 is Part pick. 8. It is Part 8. Never mind, I can't read Roman yes, numerals. Yes,
1: Part 7 is the new blood.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> Uh, next, we brought lovely friend of the podcast Jocelyn Martin for Snowpiercer. Uh, then, longtime friend Chaz Fisher requested Getting Square. Then, onto the Shaman anthology, we did The Last Airbender, followed by Signs. We did a little bit of a break with Extinction, once again requested by Dan Brennick.
1: I would not have called that a break.
0: <laughs> it was a, a detour, a dead end. It was like a, a spin on the cul-de-sac. Yeah. and then we finished Shaman Anthology with After Earth and The Sixth Sense then one of the most brutal outings this year Hancock requested demanded by Ryan from uh, Spit and Polish then we decided to, uh, to take a trip into the female mindset within the cut and then came back hard into the male mindset with Pain and Gain
1: really was a perfect balance
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> two extremes and then uh, we were rewarded with a patron request from Ben Murray again for The Master, movie, a much beloved movie for both of us. And then just closing up, more recently, I got Alex to finally check out Baby Driver. And then Ryan Bartek from Spit and Polish came on the show to do Oscar, the Sylvester Stallone comedy. What a ride. This is the most eligible movies we've had since forever, since, since we started the show.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of ground covered there. A lot. (laughs) It's all over the place.
0: (laughs) All right, Alex. Lead us into the festivities here.
1: (laughs) Welcome to the seventh annual... (laughs) Shit, I fucked it up already. Welcome (laughs) to the sixth annual Embreeze Awards Ceremony. And here's your host, Josh Gad. <laughs> it's the Embrys. <laughs> yeah, so let's kick it off with supporting actress. Like we said, we always like to end on a positive note. So we'll start uh, with the Morrissey side of things when we do these categories, which again is would represent the doldrums, the worst of the worst. The, I guess the, the golden raspberry to our Academy Award is what you mm-hmm. could uh, compare that to. But before we get to myself and Julio's selections, the the honored few, uh, we do have a listener clip sent in to uh, I, to speak on the matter of supporting actress.
0: That's right. I, I put out the call to to our patrons. I put it out late. This is my fault. I gave him about forty eight hours to to submit something if they wanted to play along, and uh, we got a few responses. One of them from uh, Ben Murray from Film FilmBusters, uh, and he has a pick for the Morrissey, for Supporting Actress. Uh, I, I think it might be a controversial pick, Alex. I don't know.
1: Uh-oh.
2: Hi, everyone. This is Ben from FilmBusters, and uh, I'm very happy to be here at the 2021 Embry Awards. Looking forward to seeing some of the winners, some of the runners-up, some of the losers of the night. I'm here to say that I have a pick for this year's... Morrissey Award, formerly the Rouseys, and that pick goes to supporting actress Minnie Driver for her turn in Goodwill Hunting. I am not a big fan of Goodwill Hunting by any stretch of the imagination, but I was with it until she turned up on screen with the worst British accent ever. I know she is British. I know that's what makes it worse. She makes it sound so affected. She leads every fucking line with an expression of quirk and hmm, hmm. she's the kind of girl who comes into a scenario where friends are already established and ruins the relationship and all the other friends have to go yeah yeah we like her we like her uh except in this film I don't have to like her and you don't have to like the film and I don't like the film because of her I cannot watch the film because of her she ruined Robin Williams for me her energy is appalling she tries and steals every scene that she's in and it it comes off as so affected, so over the top. She has to win the Morrissey. Come on, give it to her.
0: My God.
3: <laughs>
2: Definitely not on my list.
0: <laughs> not on my list either. But I think it's it's fairly damning when a British man criticizes your British accent, and uh, and you are British.
1: <laughs> I don't know, yeah, that listeners. Was pretty ruthless.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's she ruined Robin Williams for him. We were, I, I think that we were all in agreement in the Goodwill Hunting episode that we liked her.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I remember we just kind of found inconsequential sounds a bit curt, but we we found her to just be kind of there, and the power players obviously were who they were.
0: Yeah, uh, it also sounds like Ben resents the role she played in the in the movie, as far as like her becoming the I guess the Yoko to Matt Damon's Lennon, maybe. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, well, Ben, that's uh, thank you for helping us start this with a bang, even though neither of us agrees <laughs> with that pick. <laughs> Who do you have, Alex? What what does your, uh, your Morrissey Supporting Actress card look like? Well, for
1: every other award we'll be giving out this evening, uh, I have at least one runner-up, and that is not the case for this category only. The Morrissey for supporting actress there's no way that I couldn't let her have this category all to herself and that is Charlie Theron and Hancock
2: ask you and I you and I want we're the same no I'm stronger really oh yeah who are we Gods, angels, different cultures call us by different names. Now, all of a sudden, it's superhero.
3: And there are more of us.
2: There were. They all died. It's just the two of us. <laughs>
1: wow. Just dreadful.
0: <laughs> Blindsided again. <laughs> back to back. First Ben, then you. Please explain.
1: Did you were you there when we recorded our episode on Hancock?
0: <laughs> I mean she's she's not great, but as as I shall prove when I when I present my nominees, I, I think that you're you're forgetting some of the things that we've watched.
1: <laughs> yeah, I read over our list. I I know what we did, but I also know the absolute disdain I have for that film. So I I am content with my selection here.
0: <laughs> well, Hancock, off to a good start. Uh, Alex I'll refresh your memory because I do have two runners up uh, in addition to my winner Uh, my first honorable mention uh, Rebel Wilson in Pain and Gain I know she has the one moment where she's great but that one moment I don't think makes up for the other scenes she has where she's just Rebel Wilson riffing and kind of dragging the movie down first negative for me second negative and this is, I know we disagree here, but I went ahead and put Lily James. It's a non mention. mention. Uh, Lily James on Baby Driver. Uh, I said on the episode. Really? I, I, yeah, I, I just, she's great. I've seen her be great in other movies, and she's not great in Baby Driver. She is the one character that feels fake. It's not that she doesn't have chemistry with Ansel Eggert, it's more that the dialogue that they gave her and, and the fact that they don't really give her character anything to do. Is just too much. Everybody else is just larger than life and interesting and lively. And she's just cast. She's trapped in this very limited role of uh, part damsel in distress, part super cutesy love interest. I just it doesn't work for me. She deserves better, but it's not her fault entirely. So I'm not going to give her the, the, the award. The more she goes, and this is where I just can't believe, Alex, that this to cross your mind, it goes to uh, Elizabeth Barondis from our most recent episode, from Oscar. Because you called out how bad she was.
2: <laughs> Listen, of all the guys in the world, why did you pick me? Because I wanted Anthony to think that I came from a wealthy family. After all, he makes 1400 a month. It's 1200 a month. When he asked my name, I had just seen your picture in the Daily News. So I told him I was Teresa Provolone. That makes sense. I didn't find out until later that you were a gangster. I mean that you were who you were. Then why didn't you tell him the truth? Because he liked the idea that I was your daughter. I just found out that he worked for you. It's more like he works for himself. So you see, Mr. Provolone, I don't want Anthony to find out the truth from anyone else. Yeah, if he does, I'm out 50,000 clams. Think, think, think. All right,
1: I got it. She was really, really bad, but I just, I couldn't not throw Charlie Stern under the bus.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll take... 20 Charlize Theron's uh, over Miss Barondis. which no offense. I mean, this is the only movie that I've seen her in. Of course, I've seen Charlize Theron has to. The, I guess, the, you know, I've seen her in so many other things that maybe that is playing a role in me just kind of forgiving her a little bit for for Hancock. But yeah, o- Oscar is a movie of it's a very uneven movie. There's a lot of highs, a lot of lows. And Elizabeth Barondis' performance is definitely on the low side. And it's crazy. I don't know how that makes it to the screen, how, how that wasn't, you know. She can share the Morrissey with, uh, with John Landis, who allowed it all to happen. But Miss Barondes gets my Morrissey. I guess Shirley Stern gets yours. And Minnie Driver gets a, gets an angry letter from Ben.
3: It is actually important that I learn this. It's really important. All right. It's me.
1: All right, Julio, from the negatives to the positives, moving over to the Embrys for Supporting Actress. It seems like every year the Supporting Actor and Actress category are the ones that are a bit overloaded for me. So I had um, quite a few. I was able to whittle it down to a list of four. So <laughs> we, we kicked off the year with The Rocker and... I think one of the things we praised about that movie when we covered it was Miss Christina Applegate and just how effortless her performance is in that. And I felt that was deserving of some recognition. Uh, (laughs) Piggybacking off of your Oscar awareness, I guess I would say, I have Marissa Tomei in here. And that, of course, for her role in Oscar, one of the highlights of it and an an example of what we look for when giving out this prestigious (laughs) award Someone that, despite the surroundings that they're in, just absolutely giving it their all. And I think that definitely qualifies in that case.
0: She could have been in Empire Records.
1: (laughs) She definitely could have been. Um, And then it was hard for me to select who the runner-up and then who the actual winner was. But the runner-up came in in the form of uh, Kim Basinger in Grudge Match. One of the things we talked about (laughs) when we recorded that episode was the good acting that was in kind of a bad movie and you know, her <laughs> projects have been more and more selective over the past uh, decade plus. So there was some really good stuff from her in that and kind of embodies the spirit of what we're talking about, but I couldn't not give the Embry for best supporting actress to Tony Collette in the sixth sense. I just, you know, for all the things we talked about in that episode, while that movie isn't necessarily what I would call a bad movie at all, uh, it's still, is polarizing, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say a bad word about her performance in it. And she absolutely is seizing the moment, which is imperative to the Embry. She's not resting on her laurels or coasting at any point in it. And, of course, the great scene of her and um, Cole discussing uh, her mother's passing and watching her dance at her recital when she was a little girl. Timeless, classic shit. So my Embry for supporting actress goes to Tony Collette.
3: You know the accident up there? Yeah.
2: Someone got hurt. They did? A lady. She died. Oh my god, but you can see her? Yes. Where is she?
3: Standing next to my window.
2: Oh, you're scaring me you scare me too sometimes
0: okay Tony Collette uh, well you know what let's hold off on Tony Collette because she will come up again pretty soon <laughs> Tony don't, don't go to the green room yet collect your your embryo from Alex and just hold on for a second just wait there in the background um I'm so happy that you went to The Rocker for one of your picks. It just kind of warms my heart because (laughs) starting our our seventh year of podcasting with The Rocker, there was this, especially because we did The Rocker Euro trip back to back. So there was Mm -hmm. this very overwhelming sense of me forcing you to watch two movies that you weren't really crazy about. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad that, that you look... If nothing else, you look back on uh, Christine Applegate's performance fondly. Uh, I I also have an honorable mention for somebody from The Rocker, but I went with Emma Stone because, as I've said numerous times during the show, and I think that people think that I'm kidding when I say it, but I'm only halfway kidding. I think that Emma Stone was a more interesting actress before she became a star. She's great, and she's great now as a star but i kind of feel that we as a as a people we lost something when we when she was no longer taking quirky background characters and making them great and that's what she doesn't rocker you know she's she's a supporting character and uh, that role could have been nothing if you if it had a lesser actress but because it's emma stone it's actually memorable and she's she's funny and she's sexy and she's she has emotional moments and you buy her connection with josh gad it, it's just it's great uh i mean not great enough to not not so good that i will give her the Embry, but definitely deserves to be called out
1: she's not quite Embry material but worth uh <laughs> worth recognition
0: yeah i'll give her the nod uh I also want to call out Marisa Tomei but not for Oscar which I agree she was great in Oscar but you know what decades later she was she still had that Embry spirit uh in the wrestler where she just gave it her all she's like Marisa Tomei is a stripper I mean that is her putting herself out there did she get an Oscar nomination I don't remember she did she did. Okay, so you know, for once, this is one of those times where the Oscars and I are kind of in agreement. I I think it's great. You know, the, I I think that because I considered doing it for Oscar as well, but I kind of like the idea that it <laughs> the wrestler kind of showed that she never stopped. You know, it- it's just like you see her all these years later, and she still brings that energy, that moxie, and uh, a-, a much more adult sensibility to a role that again it could have been. Just your stereotypical stripper, and instead it's just a full-fleshed human being. So that's great, but I agree with you, Alex. Doesn't hold a candle to Tony Colette in *The Sixth Sense*.
3: Hi, this is Linceir Cole's mom. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to talk to you about your boy and his friends keeping their goddamn hands off my son.
1: I figured this would be possibly the only one we had a crossover on.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, we're both pretty big fans. We we talked about it on the episode. It was one of the reasons why I was so excited to rewatch The Sixth Sense, because I, the first time I watched it, I didn't know who Tony Collette was, and now I was watching it, Already loving Tony Collette, having experienced Tony Collette in so many movies. And I want to say that she is one of those actresses that's always given like 110%. That's what it feels like. I haven't seen Tony Collette on autopilot yet. And uh, The Sixth Sense is definitely, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if we talked about it on the episode, but I kind of get the feeling that that was one of her entry points into uh, kind of like mainstream Hollywood movies. You know, because she had her movies from Australia. She had Muriel's Wedding, and she broke through that way. But I want to say that maybe The Sixth Sense was one of her key steps on just getting cast in bigger productions here. And that uh, she's great. She's she's so good as the mom that just it's 100% behind her kid. And that scene uh, at, at the end in the car, but also that scene when they're having a
1: pot roast or something pot roast
0: right and yeah she gets mad at cole for because she thinks that he's lying and uh she's at first she's trying to be sweet then she gets frustrated it's she's great she walks away tonight with two embryos
1: double fisting on the way out miss tony collette
0: (laughs) big opening big swings already uh ben calling out mini driver (laughs) tony collette with a double win just off off to a great start tonight
1: Alright, so, from supporting actress to supporting actor, starting off with the Morris scene. Uh, No surprise here for me. I don't think it'll come as any surprise. Uh, But I do have a runner-up, and that is Tim Robbins in Howard the Duck. (laughs) Tim (laughs) Tim Robbins is an amazing actor, clearly, as he's been on this podcast before in amazing performances. Uh, and Howard the Duck will come back up uh don't don't you worry uh and while I don't think that movie's legacy is fair to it, I do think that Tim Robbins is bad in it and I think it's a big swing and a miss his <laughs> enthusiasm is there which is obviously admirable um and it's there's the novelty of seeing Tim Robbins try to really go for it in a movie like that but it's just not enough he he's he's the one part of the movie to me that's kind of exhausting when he's on screen it's just a bit much and um it's not he's not awful like the the winner is but it's just one of those things that deserves calling out because it's such a quizzical weird it's more weird and just kind of like what than it is bad but I did feel it was worthy of um, recognition but no my uh Morrissey for supporting actor goes to Will Smith for whatever it was that he was doing in After Earth that
0: <laughs> really
1: yes
3: I'm thinking I'm gonna die I'm gonna die you cannot believe this is how I'm gonna die I can see my blood bubbling up mixing with the sunlight Shining through the water. And I think, wow. That's really pretty. And everything slows down. I see his pincer through my shoulder. And I decide. I don't want that in there anymore.
1: I did not land on Will Smith uh, winning the Morrissey for worst actor uh, in Hancock, uh, but we did have some odd Will Smith performances and the after earth was a really bad movie. And he, in it, it's like I talked about in the episode, he's this supernova of charisma and it's like he tried to do everything he could to not be entertaining in that movie, to shine the light on his son. Who's not a good actor. Uh, And again, I'm not faulting Jaden Smith. He's a young kid, and God bless you, man. But Will Smith's choices in that movie were not good. They did not pay off, and he walks home with the Morrissey for supporting (laughs) actor.
0: For putting his kid through that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I still think that the... I walk away from After Earth more impressed by the fact that even when he's working so hard at dimming his charisma, I still preferred seeing him on screen like I missed him when he was not around. Uh, so I can't I can't like really criticize him much. I mean, don't worry. There's plenty of uh, criticizing of Will Smith in the future uh, of this episode. <laughs> but After Earth, I- I'll give him a pass. And I'm glad you acknowledge that Tim Robbins, he swung. I agree. It's a swing and a miss. He did swing. He
1: hit. he swung hard. He swung. It was one of those. Uh, he was Joaquin's character in uh, Signs. He <laughs> yes, had the most strikeouts <laughs> in history. It felt wrong not to swing.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> he might have killed an alien with his performance in Howard the Duck. Uh, all right. Well, on my end, there's a there's a lot of picks here, but narrow it down to one that you would absolutely expect from me, and I think it's the second year in a row. That I've given Ken Jong an honorable mention. <laughs> last year it was for God, he's in the movie for like <laughs> two minutes, dude. It's still I think it's if it annoys me enough to call him out, that's that's you know, even though it's two minutes. It's you know, he was pretty bad last year I called him out for the hangover three. This year he has a tiny part in pain and gain, and he was still like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> I want Ken Jong to surprise me. I want Ken Jong to do something that is not the Ken Jong shtick. And until he does that, I'm just going to resent him. <laughs> and, and I'm telling you right now, he'll probably get nominated next year if we do a movie with Ken Jeong. <laughs> Even if it's on screen for like 30 seconds. If it's just him yelling at someone and just being all like Ken Jeong-ish. It, it, You'll it's find a way. nominated. Yeah. I'm already. I'm sorry. It, it, it's on. the The vendetta is on. Uh, but he doesn't get the Morrissey. And someone else who doesn't get the Morrissey, even though it, this was a fairly lazy performance overall, <laughs> is Kyle MacLachlan in Showgirls. You know, to say what you will about Elizabeth Berkeley, but uh, she was trying. Kyle MacLachlan is there kind of trying to not draw too much attention to himself. <laughs> I think that unlike people like uh, uh, Gina Gershon or even the the choreographer that later went on to be in pain and gain, you know, like yes. most of the cast in that movie is trying really hard to be noticed. And Kyle MacLachlan is kind of trying to fade into the background and just walk away from this project without uh, getting too dirty, which is smart, a smart career move, but it also, it, it it's kind of reprehensible because it's like, you should be as invested as everybody else there. And I think that it's never more telling than in his uh, intimate scenes with Elizabeth Berkeley, where Clearly, she's doing all the work, and he's just sitting back, <laughs> barely reacting to it. So it was very tempting to give him the the Morrissey, but ultimately I landed on somebody who will get the award for a specific movie, but also kind of for a body of work, and that is Emile Shamalan for his uh, his brief
1: part in The Sixth Sense. Ooh, you tricky bastard!
0: <laughs> it's I'm not gonna lie.
1: The Sixth maybe, Sense.
0: Well, yeah, because I really wanted to give it to him for the village, but technically, the okay. village is not eligible it it was it was Correct. our shamal anthology epilogue, but we did it on a different podcast. but really, the stench of his cameo in the village retroactively made it even worse in all the other cameos that we experienced and you know, he's barely in uh the happening like he's the uh, the voice on the other end of the of the phone. He's not really an After Earth. I don't think that we we spotted him in After Earth. He is okay in science. He had that ridiculous moment of you know that you called out where he walks out in slow motion and everybody looks at him. It's like it's him. Uh, oh, and then he's like blink and you miss it in uh, Last Airbender. But mm-hmm. then in The Sixth Sense, he is opposite Tony Colette, who, may I remind you, just won two Embrys. <laughs> 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 you know if I hadn't seen him in any movies after that if this had been like his one moment where he'd realized that acting is not for him then I would let it pass but no he did the Sixth Sense, and somehow that encouraged him to give himself bigger and bigger roles down the line uh, so it's a matter of context as well as his performance in the movie which is not great so I'm giving it to him that Shyamalan
2: the test would indicate he did not have a seizure he's doing fine after some rest, You could go home tonight. <laughs> There's some cuts and bruises on your son that are concerning me. Oh, man. Yeah, those are from sports. You think I hurt my child? Think I'm a bad mother? Mrs. Sloan over there. She's a social worker with the hospital, and she's
0: going to ask you a couple procedural questions.
1: Now, as we move into the Embrys for supporting actor, Julio, do we have a listener submission for this?
0: We have two. Actually, and, and you know, it's appropriate because I don't know about you, Alex, but this is the category where I have a pick almost for every movie.
1: It was my most crowded category for sure. Yeah,
0: and I wanna say it's like you said, I think I think especially the uh supporting actor is always kind of a a big it's a thing. It's field. a loaded yeah, a loaded category, uh year in, year out. He didn't send us a clip, but patron Jamie Russell sent me a message to read. And he says uh, Embry's Award to Kurtwood Smith in Robocop. The Himmler Spectacle. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I was glad because that meant that I, I, I didn't have to mention him in mind. The Himmler Spectacle vision of villainous terror that haunted my early teenage years. He's clearly having a ball playing a proper nasty villain and this jumps out as a performance for me. His tormenting of Murphy. Uh, 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 I don't know what that means, but he wrote it like that. <laughs> Still sends chills whenever I rewatch. Nothing in Smith's career has gotten close to this before or after.
1: Well, hold on. <laughs> Red Foreman is a good character,
0: <laughs> yeah. but is he as villainous as as terrific as? Uh... No, I
1: re- I respect that. Yeah,
0: Clarence—that's his name in Robocop. Um, yeah, good good pick, good pick, Jamie. And I agree. We heaped some praise on Kerwood Smith uh, during a Robocop episode, and then. Also in this category, our friend Paul from Film Busters sent us a clip.
2: Hello, beautiful Alex and Julio. This is Paul from Film Busters. (laughs) Now, excuse my audio. I'm outside right now. I'm walking my dog. But I saw your, your call out for nominations and I just couldn't help myself. So my nomination for Best Supporting Actor in the Embry category is Cal from titanic now not only does he appear in most of the best villain lists of all time he also has molded part of my life where basically every so often i pick my little boy woody up i'd I'd take a little run and i'd say
0: i have a child so yeah that's that's (laughs) why he deserves the award thanks I actually replied to that email that he sent. And I told him, oh, That's I love that quote. The one that I go to, and I think you do too as well, is, uh, I hope you enjoy your time together. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, that's that's two solid picks. And two that I, I had considered. I had them in my short list. And then I just kind of like knocked them out because they're already brought up by them. Uh, are they on your list, Alex? One of them, yes. Tell me. Tell me how how your, uh, your Embry Supporting Actor ballot goes.
1: All right, so as I mentioned, this is the most loaded category. So just going to run a few of these down before I get to kind of the nitty gritty. Um, Idris Elba and Beast of No Nation, Not a fun watch, but he's he is an extremely gifted actor, and he's great in that. Philip Seymour Hoffman and The Master. No way, I'm not going to bring that up. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix in Signs. We put that over to the moon uh, when we watched it. The first um, we put that over to the moon when we watched it for the episode. Uh, Elias Koteas in Crash. You want to talk about huh. someone who is like going for it in a movie of people going for it? I thought his performance was interesting, and especially at where he would have been at that point in time in his career. I think it was a pretty daring performance on his part. Uh, Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. No surprise there. Yeah, and then coming down to the final three. Uh, the Rock in Pain and Gain that episode we know I was over the <laughs> moon about his performance. Uh, Billy Zane in Titanic, which I was shocked. This was the only category where Titanic comes up for me. Wow, um, yeah, it would have been too obvious for me to give that the the Embry for film. Uh, but Billy Zane, um, we joked about on that episode how he feels like he's in a different movie than some people, and how you know this was the absolute peak of him from a uh, acting perspective and he it's that whole seizing the moment thing he's just absolutely going for it in that and i think it definitely is worthy of recognition but not to be confused with the actual winner of the Embry, going home this year with the Embry for supporting actor is mr alan arkin (laughs) for his role in grudge match we on that episode if you've listened to it you know that we were highly complimentary of Alan Arkin in it, who played the character of Lightning, I think was his name in that movie. And classic just, I don't really give a shit Alan Arkin. <laughs> and his comedic delivery in it, yeah, Lewis, Lightning, Colin Conlin, excuse me. It's, it's like they just told him to say whatever he wants, and he's just funnier than everybody. Because <laughs> everything he says, like, obviously it's scripted and whatnot, but it just felt so off the cuff and so effortless with him and the interactions he has with Kevin Hardin are great. And, you know, maybe not a great movie by modern <laughs> conventions or standards, but man, I really enjoyed his role in it. it. It felt similar to his role in Little Miss Sunshine. The difference was what was cascading around him was nowhere near as good of a movie. <laughs> so it's kind of easy to get lost in that and not quite as appreciative of it. But I love Alan Arkin, really loved him in that movie. So Come on up, sir, take a bow, go put this on the shelf next to your Academy Award.
2: Home sweet home. Exactly the same we was 20 years ago. What's that? It's my hobby. I got a creative side. You didn't know that, did you? No. So where's the TV? You don't got a TV? I don't do TV. You don't do TV? Mm -mm. You You got an iPad? No, I got a regular couch. It's not a couch, dummy. I know what an iPad is. I'm just jerking your chain. Do you know what an iPad is? Yeah, I do. It's one of those flat things you, you, you push around with your fingers. Oh, it sounds great. Makes you want to run around and buy one because you make it sound so appealing. Don't use sarcasm on me. I'm an old man. I confuse easy.
0: I actually, I had him on my short list, uh, but I had him with a slash next to his name and then Kevin Hart's name next to it. Because to me, they're, they're uh, a comedic duo. In that movie. I mean, Arkin and Hart are, are great on their own, but, and we said on the episode, the best moments in, in that movie is when the funniest, definitely, is when they're together. Yes. So, yeah, I, I agree. I I'm, I fully support your Embry for Alan Arkin, and hopefully he'll let Kevin Hart at least take a picture with it or something. Yes. I'm going to throw a few other names just kind of as a quick. Uh, <laughs> Just a quick acknowledgement. I mean, we had a, a great year for this category. Jeff Garland in the rocker, Jacob Pitts, trip.
1: Jeff Garland and Daddy Day Camp or Daddy Daycare. Care. <laughs> yes.
0: uh, I said Ben Affleck in Goodwill Hunting. And honestly, <laughs> I put Tim Robbins for Howard the Duck. He's terrible, but God he's bless. trying, you know? And I just, I really, I like the swinging. Uh, this is kind of like a. a more of a, a joke, but really Nate Lang who played Tanner in Whiplash because I mean, I explained in the episode. I just, I love him in the background. Uh, kind of bummed that you didn't give him the award because I'm not going to either, but Ken King, King and Jade, he was an early front good runner. Good call, good call. You know, it was early in the year and we've seen so much more since then. Uh, Miguel Forever, Robocop, Oliver Platt in Indecent Proposal. Not all of these are good movies, but there, these are actors that kind of, at least made it easier for us. Uh, I can keep going. Ray Liotta Marriage Story, Patrick Bristow in Showgirls. <laughs> Not Patrick Bristow in Pain and Gain. <laughs> Patrick Bristow in Showgirls. Uh, Udo Kier in Bakura. Anyway. That's a good one. Uh, I also had Elias Cotius. It's kind of like on my short list. But, all right. My two runners-up. Once again, we're going to the most recent episode of The Contrarians, In Oscar, I mentioned that there was somebody that nailed the tone of that movie for me. And it's kind of the... He's a big part, but it's not a big name in the cast. And so I think that he kind of gets overshadowed by the bigger players, whether it's because you think that the bigger players are doing great, like Tim Curry and uh, Marisa Tomei, or because you don't think they're doing so great, like Sylvester Stallone. And this is Peter Riegert, who played Aldo in Mm. Oscar. Hands down, my favorite performance in the movie... I, I feel like I didn't give enough props during the episode because there were bigger things that we were discussing. <laughs> but when I think of Oscar from now on, I mean, in addition to just thinking of how, you know, what worked and what didn't work in Stallone's performance and all the other things that happened in the movie. I'm going to think about how Peter Riegert seemed to know exactly what movie he was in. And he nailed every time that he was required to you know be funny about it and just whether that was in the background or coming up to the front so kudos he doesn't get the embryo but but i definitely he's one of the reasons why i would tell somebody that they should check out oscar at least a little bit of it also in recent contrarian's history john ham and baby driver yes we both agreed that uh he kind of he, he goes off the rails literally and uh i guess spiritually <laughs> In the last thirty minutes of the movie, or so, but we also agreed that we really enjoyed him playing the the cool dad, as you called him in the episode, and uh, you mm-hmm. know the the personification of the Steve Buscemi meme. How are you doing, fellow kids? Uh, <laughs> so so that was great. But the embri- goes to John Ritter in Sling Blade, a bit of a nice. sentimental pick. I I love John Ritter from you know growing up with Three's Company. Three's Company has come up on the show from time to time whenever I I refer to a very specific type of shenanigans that have to do with uh, misunderstandings and, and so on. John Ritter was great at that, and that's always what I've thought of John Ritter as, like, a comedian, a physical comedian. Definitely not what he's doing in Slingblade. He's funny in Sling Blade, but he's also—there's uh, just this bit of sadness to his character, and— uh you know, he he definitely transformed his look. He's one of those characters that you you care for a lot, and he could have been kind of a an easy joke in the in that story. You know, oh, like the stereotypical gay friend in a on town, and but no, he actually transcends that, and like many things in that movie, you know, there's there's more to him than just that initial impression. So posthumous, but still, he gets an embryo. We're different.
2: People see us as as being different anyway. You're, well, you've got your affliction or whatever, and I, well, mine's not as easy to see. I'm just going to say it. I'm gay. Does that surprise you? That I'm gay? You know what gay is, don't you? I don't reckon <laughs> Where do I Homosexual I like
3: men Sexually
2: Not funny, haha, funny, queer mm-hmm. Well, that's a very offensive way to put it You shouldn't say that, Carl
1: Tremendous pick He is absolutely fantastic in that all right, so moving on then, before we get to the the main events, so to speak, we've got our honoraries here, the GAD, the Ruffalo, and the White People Shit Award. <laughs> What's the full name for it that you came up with?
0: <laughs> the Lancaster Dodd Grant for the development of white people movies.
1: Outstanding. <laughs> Outstanding. So let's go ahead and start off with that. Uh i went through the list and came up you know i already gave the master it's uh, rundown as to why it's peak white people shit but before i get to my actual picks i got one runner up and then the actual pick for this uh this award here in, in the category of white uh julio we have some uh a uh, listener submission for this one is that correct
0: uh we do so so katie sent us a clip and then uh And then Ben, kind of uh, when he sent this clip for uh, Morrissey for supporting actress, also had like a, a bit of a comment. So we'll do the comment at the end. But first, let's play a clip from patron Katie from the For Your Reference podcast. Hey friends and contrarian lovers, this is Katie from For Your Reference Podcast, and I will embark with the film Titanic for the maiden voyage of Lancaster Dodd-Grant Award. From the read the fucking room comparison Rose makes to being on a slave ship, to representation of all the whites across all the classes, Titanic is without question unsinkable in its whiteness. Come for Billy Zane, stay for 84 years of prime white people shit. So, I love that uh, Billy Zane got a shout out again <laughs> from another patron. Just
1: can't stay away.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he's he's unthinkable. He's a real unthinkable in there. So, Titanic, Alex, a movie, a much beloved movie by you. Thank you, Katie, without spoiling too much of my my. Ballad, I I kind of agree, <laughs> and then Ben, he just said, he said that clip about Mini Driver, and then he also said, uh, also, in what world does Marriage Story not win the Lancaster Dot Grant for the development of white people movies? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's very true. Uh, I I feel like the the others I picked, I neither of those Titanic nor Marriage Story are in there. Wow. Marriage Story. Yeah, I guess I just kind of blocked it out of my brain. Uh, it comes up at one point. It is yet to come up uh, once on here, but yeah, fuck that movie. I can't <laughs> even like have fun joking about it. I, I disliked that movie so passionately. Uh, but no, my Lancaster Dodd Grant, uh, the runner-up, the person who just missed out on the scholarship, was uh, Paul Verhoeven and Peter Weller for RoboCop because to me there's nothing much whiter than looking at your law enforcement and thinking you know what we need a white guy (laughs) to be turned into a killing machine that is constantly armed and you know and then we can also devise these machines that just hunt out who we (laughs) assess to be bad people I love RoboCop but the premise of that movie is the whitest shit I've ever heard in my life
0: point taken
1: uh, I, I should say the second whitest shit I've ever heard in my life, because the winner of the Lancaster Dodd grant goes to, uh, is it 1993? Yes, 1993's Indecent Proposal, uh, directed by Adrian Lin, and of course starring peak white people actors in Demi Moore, Robert Redford, and Woody Harrelson, the upper echelon of white people.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, I couldn't even dream of starting to bid below $10,000. Now I know it's a lot of money. 30. $30,000, oh. ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Call me a sentimental old fool. Do I hear 35? 35. $35,000. $35, 40. $40,000, ladies 45, and
3: 45,000.
2: 45,000. 50. $50,000. I can't believe it. That's extraordinary. 50,000 once, 50,000 twice, ladies and gentlemen.
3: One million dollars. I'm sorry? One million
2: dollars. Did you say one million dollars? Yeah. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, one million dollars.
1: The whole plot of this movie is just (laughs) complete unfiltered, unadulterated white people shit of, Hey, I'm a rich white guy, so I'm going to pay to sleep with this guy's wife. And in the process, it tanks their marriage to the point where the million dollars I give them doesn't even go anywhere. We don't know where it goes in the end. And they both say they don't care about the money. And then she ends up dating this guy for a while. And then they both end up back together by going to the pier where they got engaged. It's if this man, it's amazing, like copies of this movie didn't come with white hoods because it it just seems like you had like they don't want anyone not white to watch this because it, it is again, it's whiter than porcelain. It's whiter than 2% milk. And on top of that, it's not a good movie either. Not even the incomparable Oliver Platt could save it. Even Billy Bob Thornton, as an extra in this movie, couldn't <laughs> save it. So, congratulations, though, to Adrian Lynn, Demi Moore, Robert Redford, and Woody Harrelson for <laughs> their winning of the inaugural Lancaster Dodd grant for the adv- advancement of white people.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> Patron Dan Brennick, He didn't send the nomination, but he did send me a message saying, uh, "We know who Alex is going to give the grant to, right?" And I said, "I don't know, man, because uh, after you listen to the Baby Driver episode, I-, I think that there's some contention. I'm assuming that he he was thinking that you were going to give it to Marriage Story, which is what I thought as well. Uh, but no, not even a <laughs> not even a mention. No. Well, and, and I thought that uh, that
1: that should show the the level of contempt I hold that movie in. <laughs>
0: uh i'm just i'm also surprised that you just didn't bring up baby driver because you you did call it a a long running joke in that episode is just how white it is from its debut at south by southwest to the whiteness of it all Um,
1: again i was trying to have fun with this category and not just (laughs) rag on movies that i just actively disliked
0: All right. Well, I I said I agreed with K uh, with Katie, and I do, uh, just not enough to give the to give Titanic the grant. I I I do think Titanic is is pretty white. There's just a lot of. Uh, I love her comment about how Rose just didn't really read the room and comparing her situation to that of uh, actual slaves. She's still, you know, leading a fairly privileged life. Yes. <laughs> uh, so there's Titanic. Then there's uh, the 1996 crash, which is just, you know, that's just, that's white people stuff. It's like, we are so bored that we can't even have pleasure with normal sex. We have to just crash into each other with cars, and that's the only way that we can really feel something. I like the movie more than you did. I think it was a very interesting episode. Uh, Us kind of like going back and forth and (laughs) whether something worked or not, but Regardless of where you land on the movie, the the core concept of it. It's just it's it's very white. Like you know, you're not gonna see minorities getting mixed up on that shit. Uh, certainly not in the movie, because you know, we have bigger things to worry about. <laughs> when you're at the point where where what's driving your life is just trying to find new ways to trying to find pleasure through pain, that's just you know, you're another level of privilege. Still, Alex, we are in agreement. I am giving the Lancaster dot grant to decent proposal because you are correct. (laughs) Getting a million dollars because you and your wife agree to allow some millionaire to sleep with her, getting that million dollars and then just not doing anything with it and kind of like throwing it away. That is something that only a white person would do. (laughs) Nobody else (laughs) would do that because, you know, again, the lack of privilege. I, I agree. And this proposal is super white, and it's super bad on top of that. I think that I was a little more positive than you when we did the episode, just because I I could see the the potential that was not explored at all in the movie. And I, I kind of gave it props for the potential. But even so, I mean, it is a pretty ridiculous uh, premise with an even more ridiculous execution. So... Uh, well Adrian Lynn they, they get two grants now they can they can really get somebody heavyweight for the mm-hmm. next movie
1: they can get fucking Michael Buble or Kelly Clarkson <laughs> or some other peak whiteness you think I have to buy women
3: buy me then
2: I bought you because you said you couldn't be bought
3: I can't be bought we're just gonna fuck as I understand it. You might enjoy it. Don't bet on it. I think I will.
2: As we do, tails we call the whole thing off. Turn the boat around, go home. No hard feelings. What do you say? your party my lucky dollar so i can't lose all right so
1: from the ultra conservative to the ultra liberal the the ruffalo award for uh the most memorable sex scene not necessarily best um i did notice there was kind of a lack we had some sex scenes and a lot of them were kind of quick or fairly unremarkable in the past year of film that we've covered with the exception of course of crash, but I <laughs> made sure to not include that. Cause that would be too cliche. Uh, if I did include a scene from that, it'd probably be the one in like the dealership with Rosanna Arquette and James Spader. That's just like everything else in that movie. Very off putting <laughs> actually. No, the, the scene with Holly Hunter and James Spader at the airport parking garage, uh-huh. it's like the closest thing to something hot in that movie uh, for me at least. <laughs> Um, for me the honorable mention goes to the Amy Adams hand job I know that's not full on <laughs> sex but hey it's still
0: there's a orgasm so I think there it counts is.
1: we get Philip Seymour Hoffman's vinegar strokes so that's you know that's the most important part Uh because it's memorable we talked about it and it comes in a very uh, important part in the movie and it's it's also kind of uncomfortable but memorable is definitely the case Um and then you know I would be remiss if I didn't give the Ruffalo. You know, it is intended to celebrate excess (laughs) uh, in honor of its, you know, its uh, namesake, the Ruffalo, because that sex scene with him and Julianne Moore and The Kids Are Right is fairly graphic, you know, bordering (laughs) on like NC-17 type stuff. So I made sure to go all in with this, and I would be a fool if I didn't give the ruffalo to elizabeth berkeley and kyle mclaughlin in showgirls just <laughs> ridiculous over the top and almost nonsensical the scene in the pool where they're going to town and then elizabeth berkeley leans back and is like convulsing underwater and letting the fountain hit her chest and it's one of the most unsexy things I think I've seen on film, but by God, is it memorable? Because, again, in the the spirit of what we're talking about here, the actress went for it. The actor, Kyle McLaughlin, was just like, what am I doing with my life? But then also <laughs> the direction of it was ambitious and there's few positive things i can say about showgirls and there's few words that i can use to positively describe it but again paul verhoeven coming up for the second category in a row definitely (laughs) had the ambition to shoot this and present it in a way that was memorable so for that begrudgingly i will be giving an award uh in a positive vein to showgirls this year (laughs)
2: Not a, say there was. not a single thing that's original in the picture. And is it that sexy? There's one lap dance where you're just a stunned that Elizabeth Barkley can do that. Berkeley can do that with her body, but I mean, twist around as
0: much as she does, but it's not sexy at all. And she's. Hey, they earned it. You can't say that they didn't work for it. Well, Kyle McLaughlin didn't, but Elizabeth Barkley certainly put enough work there. To, to deserve acknowledgement. I was about to
1: say, he didn't really have to do much. He just kind of had
0: to sit there and take it because
1: she was doing all the work. <laughs>
0: uh, Well, so I, I kind of disagree with you as far as the, the lack of uh, potential nominees. Although it is, uh, some of them are, you're right, they're like quick glimpses into something. And, and I, I think that when I was kind of making my short list, I felt myself sometimes stretching a little bit the definition of, you know, sex scene. So even though they're not actual honorable mentions, like at some point I was considering, for example, uh, Jacob Pitts and Lucy Lawless in Eurotrip. I don't know that we actually see orgasm, but there's definitely like sexual stuff going on there. Yeah. A classic that I wouldn't give it the award, but I kind of feel like it needs to be called out. Leo and Kate in Titanic with the hand.
1: Again, that was something that Going through the list, it was the first one that came to mind. But I was like, I, "I'm not, I'm not going to be whiter than the award that we give out and pick that."
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, well, how about uh, Linda Fiorentino and Chaz Parliamentarian and Jade? You know the <laughs> where you get the,
1: the what pal- is sexy about that?
0: Nothing, but it's memorable. I, I'm still thinking uh. about it. <laughs> uh, we have uh, Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson have a very brief but kind of you know what the fuck sex scene at the beginning of a decent proposal anyway i we are pretty in sync uh, on this category as well alex because my honorable mentions are elizabeth berkeley in the pool uh just riding Kyle mclachlan waterboarding him so to speak and uh amy adams and philip seymour hoffman in that bathroom where uh it's not just a memorable hand job, but like i mentioned on the episode the fact that they that she then very casually uses uh uh one of Laura Dern's towels to just (laughs) clean herself. (laughs) I know you said, yeah, she runs her hand through the water first, but still, come on, you know, use your shirt or something. That's someone else's towel.
1: The embroidered towels. (laughs) just Philip Seymour (laughs) Hoffman jizz all over them.
0: (laughs) They have the LD on the corner for Laura Dern. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am going to give the award to the sort of cliche uh, uh, pick. I'm going with Crash Alex, but that's because even on the episode, we're like, "How this is a hell of an entrance!" James Spader's introduction, emerging from behind. Uh, I guess it's his assistant director, or I don't know some some girl that's bent over a desk. And the, the first time we see James Spader, he's just coming up from behind her ass,
1: face deep in it.
0: Yeah. He that's that's a big reveal of the James Spader character and then they're calling him to the set so he has to like finish quickly and, uh, and they get to it and then we cut away we don't see a climax but it is just uh, how can you not think of uh, that scene whenever you think of James Spader now this is more iconic than anything he did in the office anything he did in Stargate I have to go with James Spader's intro in the 1996 crash that gets my Ruffalo
2: I think a woman touching her breast, pulling it out of her bra, that's intended to be erotic. And I think it can be erotic. I'm saying that the ideas in the film, said by the performance artist, that somehow this is a connection between life and death, yeah. that's well, a bunch of you know, of the movie doesn't... It's you, uh, the movie thinks so too, Gene. The uh-huh. movie is about crazy people. Yeah.
1: Fair enough. Valid points made all around, I feel. So from the Ruffalo to the true spirit of the contrarians, and basically the award that epitomizes what it is that we do and that being the gad films that we watch that have the vaunted or not vaunted but more um, maligned the dishonor of having the rotten ratings on uh, rotten tomatoes and so and sadly in a lot of the pop culture we live in specifically in this country nowadays it scares people away from seeing them so what we do when we find these you know, positive merits, so to speak in movies is a lot of times will come away and mean that. So what the GAD does is it's the award that epitomizes our spirit and goes to movies that do have those nasty green splotches, those low rotten ratings on rotten tomatoes um, that we feel are good and deserve more praise and a more fair shake than they got uh, or get. So Julio, I have two honorable mentions and the first one should be no surprise. And it's only 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, so (laughs) it's not too low. But I still think Pain and Gain, uh, whether you like it or not, deserves a higher standing in movies of the past 10 years than it gets. I go into great detail about that in the episode, so I'm not going to focus on that too much more here, but Pain and Gain... I think not just through Rotten Tomatoes, but through the fact that it's Michael Bay, Mm -hmm. that it stars The Rock, that it stars Mark Wahlberg, people have an overall wrong impression of what this movie is. And the bigger thing is this movie's not for everybody, but that's not in the sense of because it's some big stupid action blockbuster. It's a very dark uh, comedy. It's a very dark uh, commentary. And it's a very... Over intentionally over-stylized, so it has all these things that check boxes that aren't for everybody. My point that I'm trying to make with this is it deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as a movie like Spring Breakers, in my opinion, as something that obviously, in Spring Breakers' case, wasn't for everybody, but it's still, now I can use the word vaunted, and celebrated as this kind of seminal important film that was made in the past decade and I believe Pain and Gain deserves to be in that discussion. I think you're um, you're
0: on point uh, bringing up that it's not just a tomato meter score which is definitely a metric that people would use to not give it a give it a chance, but it's a combination of that with the the fact that it's Michael Bay directing, which is funny because in a way the main reason that it's or one of the main reasons that it's a memorable movie is Michael Bay's direction. But at the same time he is he is one of the reasons why people would just not even give it a chance. So, what a conundrum.
1: What are we to do?
0: <laughs> and then, yeah, people,
1: for whatever reason, don't like my boy DJ. Just if he's in a movie, they write it off immediately. But, whatever. Secondly, a movie that has been brought up twice on my side of things thus far. And a movie that I remember finding extremely unremarkable when I watched it in the theaters. And I still think it's pretty unremarkable. But through the discussion we had on this podcast, and made me realize even though the story of it's silly and some of the comedies, bit shoehorned the movie also from 2013 grudge match starring Yay. Robert De Niro and Sylvester Stallone is a movie that so often to we end this with our recaps of movies and say, well, uh, you know, I would recommend watching it or I would recommend someone watch yeah. it. And I think this, th- that might not be any truer any movie we did over the past, uh, year than this. In the sense of a rotten film. Uh, obviously, if someone <laughs> hasn't seen Titanic or uh, Sling Blade or The Wrestler, I'd be like, hey, watch that. But with this, in this case, it is a dumb plot. The story is very loose. But, you know, Sylvester Stallone, and I think you were even a bigger fan of his performance in it than I was, and it goes back to what we were talking about in our Oscar episode recently. He's vulnerable, and he has moments in it of real acting where you realize what he is capable of. Uh, as an actor and De Niro, I mean, De Niro, but even still, a weird level of dedication he gave to this. Like the shape he got in physically for being like fucking 73 at the time <laughs> was pretty ridiculous. Uh, Alan Arkin, uh, Embry winner, Alan Arkin, <laughs> hilarious. Embry runner up, Kim Basinger, fantastic. <laughs> you got John Bernthal hanging out in there. Uh, Kevin Hart, funny, uh, just kind of there. Um, it's not a perfect movie. I don't even still know if I would call it a good movie, but there is some good stuff in there and there's some genuine moments of acting from great legendary a listers that it's kind of worth seeing just because I, I, I want more people to see it. Cause I want to have more discussions like you and I had about it. Yeah. I find that fascinating about the movie. And I think being at 31% on rotten tomatoes, that doesn't accurately um, capture that movie's essence is the story dumb. Yes. Is it unrealistic? Yes. Is some of the plot flimsy? Yes. But the acting's great. These lines that aren't really good are still delivered with great acting. And so, like I said, and like we always talk about, those ratings on Rotten Tomatoes don't accurately represent what's there. And we know that, but a lot of people don't understand what those ratings are to begin with. So, to me, someone who look at this and be like, oh, it's 31%. That means it's not good. I'm like, no, no. It, it It's also not a good movie, but at the same time, there's a lot of positive there. So, Grudge Match pain and gain if you haven't seen them do it's worth your time uh so where i worked all that into it uh, and you know the the whole thought out approach and the actual intelligent arguments i made for both those movies i'm about to completely <laughs> do away with with what i'm giving the gad to here julio contrarian's listening public <laughs> howard the duck ain't that bad <laughs>
2: I have disguised my true form, which would be considered hideous and revolting here.
3: Lucky for the people eating.
2: Mm hmm. What? You ordered your specials. What's wrong? This will mean the extinction of all existing life forms. You haven't even tasted it yet. What do you think? I'm into cannibalism or something? Hey. Are we, like, all in the same discussion here? I'll give you a hint, doll. What's white, ovoid, oh, and always reminds me of my birthday? The eggs. Get them out of here.
1: I lived the, as long as I can remember, until we watched that with Sam, I lived my life under the understanding and under the pretense that that was one of the worst movies ever made. It ain't that. <laughs> There's been a dozen, if not 20 movies we have done on this Podcast that I would say are worse than Howard the Duck. I actually kind of enjoyed Howard the Duck. I know I kind of shit on Tim Robbins earlier, but <laughs> you bought it, yeah. I did. I did buy it, the Blu-ray, and it has a hilariously high-quality transfer on it. But it's pretty funny, and you know, for being the sucker I am for practical effects. For the movie that completely leans on that, I appreciate that greatly. I mean, there's some computer animated stuff like with the lasers and shit at the end. But uh, it's not a movie by any stretch of the imagination that I would say is going to be entered into you know my top 10, top 20, top 200 movies that I've ever seen. Fuck, fuck, top, top 500. But <laughs> for all the things I heard about it, it's not that bad. It's definitely worth seeing once, uh, and the main reason why we're going to get to here uh, shortly, but Howard the Duck, man, you get the gad, there's enough goodwill in you, that, and that's the big thing, That, and I, I feel like this is something I harp on a lot of the time with some of the episodes we do on shitty movies, the intention with Howard the Duck was not bad. It was not malicious, it was not resentful or contemptuous of its audience like a lot of the things that we have done. And it was an ill-fated attempt to try something new, and it failed miraculously. But that doesn't mean that someone can't enjoy it, and that doesn't mean that everything in it is bad. And at 14%, I think that is misleading. I think too many people are swept up with its legacy, and seeing something like 14% and just automatically writing it off, and that's not something I can live with. If it's my life goal, goddamn it, I'm gonna get at least one person on this planet to watch <laughs> Howard the Duck for the first time and be like, "Yeah, that wasn't that bad." So, there you go, Julio. I know I, I this is the most time I've taken up with this, but this is an award. Hey. Even though you created this award, it's the one I probably believe in most.
0: <laughs> it's why we do what we do. <laughs> well, I am I am geeking out of the fact that. Uh, Not just Howard, but uh, the grudge match thing. Because I was, you know, throughout the episode, over and over, I think it kind of became clear that I liked the movie more than you did. Even though I agree, I don't think it's a great movie. But I was pretty entertained and you were just mostly like, you know what, this isn't real boxing. (laughs) 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 To me, the, the, the main thing, when I was watching it, I could kind of tell that it was undeniable that I cared. That I cared how the grudge match turned out. And I think that that's a win for the movie, that I was invested enough that I cared if De Niro won or Stallone won, and that, that I, I can't avoid that. Uh, so I had it on my short list. I didn't put it as an honorable mention, but I was so happy to hear you bring it up because that means I'm not alone, Alex. Uh, no, my honorable mentions go uh, to... Uh, well, I don't know how much you're going to agree with me on this, but but just hear me out before I even get to the main event. <laughs> Uh, we watched pretty recently. Okay, okay let's we'll start with the most recent one. Our most recent episode, Oscar, 12%. And listeners, if you if you already experienced that episode, I think that you could probably say I'm the most negative on the movie <laughs> out of the four of us. Uh, because I probably, out of the four of us, I was the one who was the hardest on Stallone. And being that he is the central figure in the movie... By ragging on him, I come across as as you know ragging on the movie constantly, and there's plenty that I have problems with there. But I also agree with something that Ryan said, uh, which was this is not a twelve percent movie, and that is true. Like I think that that's the curse of Rotten Tomatoes uh, green splotch. You know, people see a twelve percent next to the title, and they're like, "All right, I'm out." I don't care about anything else. And uh, it does, you know, I don't think that that's fair uh, because as flawed a movie as Oscar is, I think that there is enough going on there that you should at least kind of like check it out. Maybe not stick around all the way to the end if it's not your jam, but I think that 12%, it just gives you that image of like, man, this was just a waste of everyone's time. And, I think that, as was argued in, in our Oscar episode, it wasn't. I mean, I think it was a, a, more of a miss th- than a hit, but there was still a lot going on that was kind of, like, worth it. And just the, the fact that Stallone was taking this comedy role seriously as opposed to, you know, what we had seen in, uh, in Tango and Cash, I felt that that was... That's definitely commendable. And then you have very interesting, uh, in some cases very successful performances around him, you know. Uh embry winner Marissa tomei Embry winner Peter Riegert. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's quality surrounding uh a kind of uh divisive performance from Stallone and uh like I said in that episode I would love to watch the the play I am w- very interested to watch the French version of the of this story just kind of to see what happens when this movie with this story told with you know all cylinders firing. Uh, so yeah 12 percent feels too harsh for Oscar. Also I really walked away from in the cut especially after our episode after our recording kind of feeling more positive toward the movie uh, it's at 33 percent and there's plenty wrong within the cut but there's also a lot of interesting stuff going on there. And, uh, certainly not a movie for everyone, but once again, it feels like slapping that green splotch on it. It just automatically would keep people that might enjoy it or keep people that might find it worth experiencing at least once. It would just keep them away because you're just saying, mm-hmm. no, this is a waste of time. This is just a complete strikeout. And I uh, know we have complete strikeouts that we've watched this past year. We will get to them soon. Uh, but no not definitely not in the cut but alex again and maybe this is the the embryo ceremony where we've agreed the most so far because my dad goes to Howard the Duck as well my god <laughs> oh my god uh yeah it, it it was i had a blast poor sam hurley was he he seemed so shocked by the fact that uh, i enjoyed it as much as i did uh, that you enjoyed it as much as as you did and uh to this day, it still comes up whenever we're talking on Twitter, and I mean he's still he's not positive toward that movie. We had a great time talking about it, but <laughs> he walked away very underwhelmed. He had seen it before, and yeah, it was it was great. It was I had a similar experience to you. Like I spent so many years hearing about how bad it was, and then I just had a great time watching it. Howard, it, it's it's taken a long time, but you walk away with two great awards tonight. <laughs> George Lucas will come hmm. to collect them.
1: Yes, and then he will redesign them in his image.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> All right, getting down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, we started off with Supporting Actress, so we'll, uh, we'll close with Actress in that regard before we get to film. So we'll go to Actor. We'll move along to the uh, Morrissey for Actor the past year, the contrarians, Uh pretty straightforward lineup on this one. Um, my honorable mention, uh, one honorable mention goes to Scott Reeves for his performance. And Jason takes Manhattan as the, <laughs> the hunk. That's <laughs> and, it. The captain's uh, son, Sean. Yeah. Okay. Sean Roberts. And obviously as someone who has a endless, it seems affinity for, Classic slashers, be it Freddie, Jason, Michael Myers, Leatherface, what have you. So, definitely accustomed to bad acting uh, across the board. Mr. Reeves set a new standard. And I love Jason Takes Manhattan, but, you know, he was trying to pull it out and whip it out next to Peter, Mark Richmond, and V.C. <laughs> Dupree. And it just it wasn't working for him. So, uh, Scott Reeves gets an honorable mention. Second honorable mention is Ansel Elgort for <laughs> Baby Driver
0: it had Sorry, to happen man. it had to happen sooner or later maybe driver was gonna was gonna come up in a negative way i had,
1: just wasn't buying it i apologize I mean, and I guess, you know maybe that guy
0: I, was, I guess i threw some shade at lily james earlier but i know yours is it hits harder
1: and maybe this guy will go on to make something that i absolutely love and love him in but time will tell uh, from a few minutes ago to being complimentary towards him to now he takes home the Morrissey for actor in the past year of The Contrarians, and that is Mark Wahlberg for his role in The Happening.
3: <laughs> Jake? You don't have an opinion? You're not interested in what happened to the bees. You should be more interested in science, Jake. You know why? Because your face is perfect. The problem is your face is perfect at 15. Now if you were interested in science, you would know facts like the human nose and ears grow a fraction of an inch each year.
1: So a perfect balance of features now might not look so perfect five years from now.
3: It might look downright whack 10 years from now. Come on, buddy, take an interest in science. What could be a reason the bees have vanished?
1: Um, the happening in our experience covering that movie with live stream for the cure this year was quite fascinating because my whole thing going in was I had seen it before, but I remember thinking it's not as bad as everyone says it is. And, uh, it, it's worse than everyone says it is. <laughs> and I don't know what was clouding my judgment, what was clouding my mind, but, uh, Mark Wahlberg is Elliot Moore and Mark Wahlberg is a good actor. We have established that, uh, in the right role. He's not Meryl Streep or you know fucking Idris Elba he can't do anything um, but this was not it for him to the point where I almost felt bad for him in some parts of it and <laughs> you know we had a, a record breaking performance on live stream for the cure discussing that and it kind of just nailed it home but yeah Mark Wahlberg sorry brother um, we can hang out and talk about pain and gain <laughs> for a while but you, you got to take this L you got to take this Morrissey home with you <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad. I have it in my short list. It it's, I think much like with you and Crash, like I I felt that Walbert would be too easy. There is a part of me that admires the kind of like the balls. I I think it's a mixture of like boldness and also lack of uh, self awareness to just say I'm gonna play a science teacher and I'm gonna play it like this. <laughs> There's, yeah, you know that it, it's it's a terrible performance, and yeah, I would give it to Morrissey if I didn't have performances that rub me the wrong way in, in a much, much more strongly, uh, such as uh, my first runner-up, David Caruso and Jade, because fuck him, ah. <laughs> hands in his pockets the entire time, a lot of really weird shit going on around him, he barely reacts. This was not the movie to play cool, David. This was the movie to kind of find some emotion. But it's like even when Linda Fiorentino is seducing him, he's just kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just uh, no, I mean there's plenty wrong with Jade. Certainly there's worse things that David Caruso going on in Jade, but he's not helping. And uh, I still remember, I think it was a, a quote that we pulled it that, that we read from Letterbox, somebody saying that, you know, there was this big conspiracy that the reason that Jade tanked is because People didn't want David Caruso to become a film star. They wanted him to stay in his TV corner. Yes, yeah. Did you watch the movie, man? That's just... <laughs> <laughs> I think David Caruso is the one that didn't want to become a film star. It's like, maybe if I'm bad enough, they'll leave me alone. Let me be on CSI or whatever. So Caruso is a runner-up. Another runner-up, my, my, my second runner-up, is Sylvester Stallone. Not for Oscar. I I think that before we recorded the, the Oscar episode, I would have thrown Sly in because my my initial reaction was just like this is this is not working and it bothers me and it annoys me. But then, you know, one, it's been a few days since I watched the movie. Two, we had a pretty good discussion about it where really the three of you, you, Ryan and Bart, kind of like helped me flesh out the fact that, that you can't say that he's not trying, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm good with him in Oscar. I'm not good with him in Tangon Cash. Tangon Cash Mm -hmm. is just him not trying to be funny. It's just him kind of, he's trying to be cool. He's not trying to be funny. And he should be trying to be funny. So he he gets an honorable mention because of that. And you know what? I I think that, like you kind of alluded to, the funniest alone that we've seen this year was in Grudge Match. And I didn't think that he was great in Grudge Match, but you're right, he made me laugh. From time to time, he had that awesome reaction when he's having that uh, dinner with Kim Basinger, and uh, she reacts to his little like sculpture that he'd made, and she finally guesses mm-hmm. that it's the right animal, and he it's just like a split second reaction where I'm like, my god, he got it! He's funny. <laughs> uh, but anyway, nothing, nothing compares to Will Smith in Hancock. That Good is man. just an embarrassing performance from an actor that I've seen be so much better. So I know that this is just... I mean, it's a combination of him either having a lazy take on the character or having just the wrong approach and then Peter Berg saying, oh, no, that's cool, man. Run with it. We can't
3: get to her. They've been spraying the hell out of us all morning.
2: And they got some kind of heavy artillery. 50 caliber or bigger. I don't know if that matters to you. I'm good. Oh... Um, good job
3: good job really good job
0: it's not funny and it's not insightful he spends the first half of the movie scowling like that's his that's his shtick that he's just scowling and then the second half of the movie mumbling through dialogue uh, yes and then the second half of the movie, he's trying to have this deep connection with Charlie Stone that's completely unearned. It's just there's Ugh. no chemistry. It's just nonsense. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in Hancock, but Will Smith is leading that, and he's not trying. Or if he's trying, he's trying the wrong way. So I liked him in After Earth, like I said earlier, liked him more than you did. But there's no goodwill left in me for Hancock. <laughs> he gets a mercy for that.
1: I like it. I like it. And again, thought it would have been too obvious if I had thrown him in there. <laughs> All right. So moving to the Embry side of it for Actor, uh, a couple of honorable mentions on my end. Um, Sylvester Stallone for Grudge Match. Uh, nice. for this scene you had talked about, his scene with John Bernthal, where he meets him in Kim Basinger's house. Just kind of their back and forth is mm-hmm. you don't think of Stallone as someone who like leads scenes. You know, it's so it's it's an interesting interesting uh experiment in acting for him in that movie and then also um i'm always so critical about people acting in front of green screens and stuff because it can a lot of times uh kill their ability as an actor uh a la rachel mcadams and doctor strange <laughs> but the scene into the car crash where he's trying to focus on the road but you know he's deaf in one ear and so he's doing back and forth it's there's some really good shit in there from sly so he gets an honorable mention uh billy bob thornton and sling blade i mean yep come on uh Rain Wilson and The Rocker because... Wow. Well, I mean, I was thinking about our discussion in that. Uh, we talked about that was still before TV actors, movie actors, streaming media actors were all the same thing. Now everyone does everything. And that was like Dwight from The Office trying to make a movie. And he did what he could to not be Dwight in that. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a valiant effort that just kind of went unappreciated with the exception of us specifically you but the (laughs) contrarians you know are big fans of that uh you know it might have been able to call this coming from a mile away but the Embry for actor on my side is going to go to mickey rourke as randy the ram robinson and the wrestler just an unbelievable film and you know my love of professional wrestling the sport of kings really builds to that but it's Oh man, it's up there with one of those just like outstanding performances that came and went. And it, you know what I mean? In the sense of he was Mickey Rourke leading into it. And then he was like, Oh my God, one of the greatest actors in the world. Mm-hmm. And he made Iron Man two. and <laughs> He hasn't really done too much <laughs> since then.
3: I just want to tell you, I'm the one who is supposed to take care of everything. I'm the one who was supposed to make everything okay for everybody. It just didn't work out like that. And I left. I left you. You never did anything wrong. You know? I used to try to... Oh, forget about you. (laughs) I used to try to pretend that you didn't exist. But I can't. You're my girl. You're my little little girl. And now... I'm an old, broken-down piece of meat. And I'm alone.
1: Anyway, Randy the Ram, uh, an unbelievable dedication to a performance, and... As much as I wanted to find a contrarian spin to put on it and say, you know, why this is important to us, uh, just looking over those movies, yeah, it came down to Billy Bob and Mickey Rourke. And just for personal investment, I had to give it to Randy the Ram.
0: Yeah, that's uh, a. We got a lot of uh, pretty strong feedback, uh, passionate feedback about that episode. And a lot of it was complimenting your just uh, the authenticity of your, uh, (laughs) you know, your. Just a lot of praise for how like steeped in the world you were, the world of pro wrestling, and how that came through in that episode, and and you know, I guess I got compliments for for just keeping up and <laughs> asking the right questions at the right time. But uh, like, yeah, yes, I know who Brock Lesnar is. <laughs> But yeah, I I, I agree. It's it's. I mean, I, I put him down on my short list. I went in a different direction, but it's he's great. I mean, that's again, you can't say that he's not trying. He's definitely trying and succeeding. And it's tricky when you're playing sort of a version of yourself because you can use that to really enhance the performance, or it can hinder it. Like it happened with uh, Ronda Rousey, <laughs> the entourage <Aunt Thresh> movie. <laughs> uh, well, Alex, on my end, uh first of all, I agree with you about uh Billy Bob Thornton. He is one of my honorable mentions. I he's fantastic. He I you know, that movie he is not, we mentioned it in the episode. He's not in that movie, he's not the Billy Bob Thornton that we've grown accustomed to. And uh mm-hmm. who knows if we'll ever see him take those kind of chances again. Nothing wrong with what he's doing now, but of course there is just that there's a difference between you know, what he was doing in slim blade and what he does these days. And, you know, I think that was before we had a Billy Bob Thornton persona and he went out and did something that was just out of the box. And, and, and that's great.
1: Uh, yeah. The historical significance of that it's the only episode that like we had to stop recording. Cause I got choked up recounting part of the plot in the movie. Yes. Uh, that's right. that, that just speaks to his, his singular performance in that. So there you go.
0: Yep. That, I've forgotten about that. That is a, there's a Contrarians first. <laughs> um, my other runner up is, uh, he may have fallen from grace, but you know what? You can't deny the the power of his performance and signs. And that is Mel Gibson, who mm. just, I had forgotten how good he was. And then we watched the movie. And even, it took me about, I don't know, you know, maybe half the movie. It was when, when he gets to the moment where he gives Joaquin Phoenix the speech about faith. And the two different kinds of people in the world and all that stuff. It's just so good. It's its not very showy, <laughs> but there's this man that's saying some really powerful shit and kind of you can sense that he's just trying not to crack. And then, of course, later in the movie, we see him crack a couple of times and it's just amazing. It's so earned. It's, it's really that good. That scene
1: is like emblematic of what being a great actor means. A, a lot of people can be loud and a lot of people can yell and be very expressive. It takes a special talent for someone to almost whisper mm-hmm. and just kind of deadpan, and you're completely captivated by what's happening.
0: Yeah. It was uh, one of my main takeaways of the science episode was just how good Mel Gibson was in it. i like, had forgotten, because again, the public persona it kind of eventually ends up taking up space in your mind, and you forget about the individual performances. And so, these days before we rewatched science whenever I thought of Mel Gibson I was like oh yeah or or all the scandals and all the stupid shit he said and the the trouble with the law and you know whatever controversy he's embroiled in and it's it's a shame that that I'm not saying that I'm supporting you know whatever he said but when you take his performance in science you're like wow that that's actually really good and really special and I hope he he finds some sort of peace and kind of like get himself together (laughs) so that we can get more of that. But ultimately, he doesn't get the, the Embry. And Alex, I, I mean, I had in my mind, I, I knew that there was a chance that you could give the Embry to uh, to Mickey Rourke. But I had a bigger question. And to me, it was more of a, is he going to give it to uh, Joaquin Phoenix or Phil Seymour Hoffman? And I'm like, mm. I wonder if we'll have the same. Except and, and that it wasn't even a question because you gave it to Rourke.
1: <laughs> Too obvious.
0: I I, I I have to be obvious, man. I After this last rewatch... I don't know if it's my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance, but it's certainly up there and it's definitely in the spirit of the Embrys, the spirit of the show, it is an actor that is not resting in his laurels. Uh, it's it's a little bit like, you know, like giving the Embry to Toni Collette for, for the sixth sense. You know, it's just... It's a good movie that she's in, but she does more with the material anyway. In the same thing with Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean... The character of Lancaster Dodd is written to where, as an actor, I imagine you don't have to do that much. You know, there's already, like, the setup is enough that you're going to be able to command the movie, in a way. You have the, the, the crazy speeches, and you have the the weird, like, Scientology vibe, like the cold mind vibe, and then you have Hawking Phoenix, you know, kind of, like, keeping things lively. But still, Philip Seymour Hoffman is captivating. He, he just took the time to really make it memorable. And and that's the thing, you know to me like he he didn't stop trying. He didn't stop like, you know. He has that uh, Ethan Embry uh, spirit. He's he's mm-hmm. just like going for it. And I walk away from watching the master I'm always in awe and just happy that he he didn't settle. Kind of like with Tony Collette. Like I I've seen uh Philip Seymour Hoffman in movies that were less than great, but he was always just seemed to be trying to put his own mark on the character. So yeah, I'm happy giving him the the embryo. Man, it's my second posthumous embryo of the night, but very well deserved.
2: I put that girl upon my knee. Mark, well, what would I do say? I put that girl upon my knee. She said, "Young man, you're rather free." <laughs> Son
3: of OJ,
1: she swore that she'd be good to me. Mark well what I do say. She swore that she'd be good to me. She spent my money <laughs> fast and
2: free. <laughs> the singer was our captain. He was a mighty dog. Served out to all the company a double share of strong. <laughs>
1: All right. Our penultimate awards of the evening. Actually, I don't know if you can use penultimate in a plural sense. So we'll just say penultimate award moving into the category of actress (laughs) before we move into film. Uh, Starting with the Morrissey's here. I have two runners up. Uh, Jason takes Manhattan double digits now (laughs) as we have uh, Jensen Daggett. Fuck. What was her name in that movie? It was um, Rennie. Of course, Rennie. Rennie. What are you doing here? Again, again, fan of the franchise really am and that was kind of where the franchise died for me it was friday the 13th part 8 jason takes manhattan i should say it's where it dies for me <laughs> i have watched jason goes to hell i have watched jason x i once watched that god-awful remake i do like freddie versus jason but the first eight, the paramount eight that's where it goes for me those are the best. And I unabashed love for Jason Takes Manhattan. But man, even in all of those, Jensen Daggett could be a sweet lady, but just wasn't working. Uh, immortally, the hey, have you guys seen my dog? I think it came through here. Uh, it'd be too obvious to have her win, but it has to be mentioned. That is Elizabeth Berkeley in Showgirls. <laughs> the saving grace is that she's going for it. Yep. She's trying. The problem is what she's trying is not good, and no one reined her in and no one pulled her aside and smartened her up and said, Hey, no. You see, Gina Gershon, do be like that, be more like
0: that. No, instead, they encourage her. They're like louder, harder.
1: <laughs> exactly. <right>.
0: Yes, <laughs> dig deep.
1: <laughs> so, my winner for the Morrissey, and I, you know, I weighed. Potentially giving this also to actor, but I think it might have just been I didn't want to talk about Adam Driver, but uh, (laughs) Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story. I understand she was nominated for a lot of legitimate awards across the board, but (laughs) (laughs) this movie had to go home with something and... The one thing I could think of, I think that's it. Adam Driver's such a little bitch in that, that he's not even deserving of a Morrissey. Whereas Scarlett Johansson is, everyone in that movie is annoying and bad. And if we had like a Morrissey for director, I would have no honorable mentions. It would just be Noah Baumbach. Um, I just don't get it, man. And Scarlett Johansson's extremely talented and um, a great actress, super funny, good at dramatic shit. But everything in this, to me, it was like that skit she did on SNL when she hosted, like in 2009 or 2010, where she played a child actor and she was acting like a child actor. And she'd say (laughs) her lines like this and, you know, have her hands on her hips and stuff. I'm like miming it out in my living room or my bedroom right now. (laughs) And uh, that's what it felt like.
0: It was so well acted. And one of the actors was this big shaggy bear who played all his lines looking directly at me uh which i knew couldn't be the case but it felt like it and then later of course i learned that it was Mm. these cookies are really great too i'll send you home with some afterwards i was introduced to the cast and the bear turned out to also be the director he talked to me and
3: (laughs) i talked back and the dead part wasn't
0: dead it was just in a coma and it was better than the sex the talking although the the sex was also like the talking you know everything's like everything in a relationship are you find that
1: to me this all felt like with the exception of Laura Dern and um, Laura Dern Alan Alda and Ray Liotta to me seemed like the only genuine parts of that movie the other people seemed like they were... The
0: lawyers. <laughs> I just realized it's just yeah. lawyers.
1: Yes. <laughs> I guess that's it. That's the only people that Noah Bombach knows how to direct. <laughs> obviously, obviously, before anyone gets this twisted, I know Scarlett Johansson in this performance is classically better than Elizabeth Berkeley or <laughs> Jensen Daggett or probably even some people that I've given other awards to. But this movie, Marriage Story, <laughs> I could not stand. I could not tolerate. It's one of the only movies we've ever done that I could not wait for it to be over. And I was trying to think of like the levels of annoyance I had with performances and characters in this movie. And Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story was the character that I just found myself so annoyed with. Nicole. <laughs> and probably because she's the domineering personality. Like I said, Adam driver's very, uh, the Charlie character that's very weak and very, uh, I've used the word unremarkable, but it definitely goes to describe him. So yeah, I'm sorry. I know it's unpopular, but <laughs> y'all knew coming into this, that marriage story was leaving with at least one Morrissey and it's leaving with the Morrissey for actress.
0: Well, that's like your opinion, man. Uh, <laughs> I I I mean, listen to the episode, guys. I'm not gonna repeat myself. <laughs> explain to Alex why he's wrong. That's your opinion, man. She's great. She's she's
1: She is a great actress, yes.
0: She's put in a very difficult position in this movie in the sense that uh even though they're both in the wrong, because of, you know, so many things that we discussed in the episode, but in the end her character ends up somehow coming across as the villain at least for most people right it's like oh well now Mm. she's cheating on him and now she is uh she went around and you know talked to all the lawyers now he's screwed and she's she's kind of blindsiding him with all this stuff and uh so in a way because adam driver gets to play the victim card a little more i feel like i mean they're both great but he has it a little easier when it comes to performance and um I mean, none of this matters because you hate them both.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was about to say I did not find her to be the bad guy. I found the movie to be the bad guy. <laughs> yes. you,
0: you think Bombach is the bad guy? <laughs>
1: it's years ago, but if you want to listen to, I, if you want proof that I love Scarlett Johansson, you can go listen to our Lost in Translation episode. Everyone's over the moon about that movie and that one, and she's great in that. And yeah, I I think she's a very underutilized comedic actress, also. But anyway, sorry. Hate to do it. It's all right, it Scarlett. Had to be done. We,
0: we all support you from over here. It's just Alex. It's it's a hater.
1: <laughs> I I like the Black Dahlia. I will not tolerate <laughs> people saying that I don't like Scarlett Johansson movies. <laughs>
0: all right. Well, <laughs> from big disagreements to, to something that we agree on, Alex. I also had to. I had to look up her name, but yeah, Jensen Daggett is my first runner up <laughs> for the Morrissey. God bless. Yeah, I just uh, listeners know Friday 13 part 8 Jason Takes Manhattan did not work for me on pretty much every level and uh, it's one of those episodes where you're just constantly enthusiastically explaining things to me <laughs> and I'm just <laughs> and I'm, I just take your word for it yeah which you know I think I said in the episode I was like I felt bad about not liking the movie because you like it so much <laughs> Even while acknowledging the things that don't work on it, but yeah, Rennie, she's just she's not good. I don't know that the, that she could have saved the movie for me if she had been better, but she certainly didn't help. Second runner-up, Zoe Deschanel in The Happening.
1: Yeah, it's a good one.
0: It's just uh, kind of the same thing as the Mark Wahlberg thing, except that uh, if we didn't mention it on the actual live stream, I know we talked about it when we were doing our our preparation, our little like pre-livestream powwow where uh, it's funny that they're both terrible performances but Wahlberg is playing against type and zoe de chanel is doing her thing the thing that she's famous for mm-hmm. she's being quirky and she's in it doesn't work i mean neither performance works but at least walberg is trying to be different zoe de chanel is just being zoe de chanel like she could be playing her character from new girl it, it's just give us something else and i even asked you um uh, it wasn't that uh, – So okay, so patrons got to hear this. It was during our discussion before we went to live stream. Because I asked you, I was like, have you ever seen her do something else? And you're like, oh, yeah, she was in this really hardcore drama. <laughs> I think you said that she cuts her hand at some point.
1: Oh, um, Winter Passing? Yeah. Yeah, she, uh, she slams her hand in a dresser drawer. Yeah. So, and she, like, kills a cat at one point in that movie? Yeah, it's not fun.
0: Well, but, you know, I wish that she took more chances like that. In, in The Happening instead of just being a, a very close version to her sitcom persona. So I'll give her a Morrissey before I give it to Walberg in The Happening. But she's not getting it anyway because uh, the person that's getting my Morrissey for leading actress is Linda Fiorentino and Jade. Oh my. It's the... We joked about it but it's true. It's the, the stereotypical 90s sexy board girl. And we know she's better than that <laughs> but it, just like stand there and, and act bored that's that's 90 percent of her performance in the movie and i uh, already criticized david caruso for you know spending most of that movie with his hands in his pockets and underreacting to everything and while linda fiorentino's way of doing this is a little more in tone with her character it's still not interesting and again among the many many things that don't work in jade uh, I think her performance... I mean, she's Jade. <laughs> it's just so underwhelming. Uh, so, yeah, she walks away with the with the Morrissey.
3: All right.
2: Let's get on with it. I met Jim at a fundraiser at the museum. I'd never cheated on my husband before. He... Took me to a house. I spent the night with him. Where? In Pacifica, someplace on the beach.
3: Did you have sex there with other men?
2: No. I cheated on my husband one time. I didn't know I could be arrested for it. You're not under arrest, Mrs. Gavin.
3: You never called yourself Jade? You never used Medford's house as a place of business?
2: Look, why don't you bring that girl on the tape in here?
0: She'll tell you I'm not this person she's talking about.
2: The girl on the tape is dead.
0: She can she can brag. So hot though, she's hot. I, I'm not disputing. Plenty of hot people with Morrissey's uh, tonight. Scarlett Johansson is hot too.
1: <laughs> it's true. Mark Wahlberg's hot. Ansel Elgort's hot, and he's walking away here. With a... Morrissey. All right. So then to the the Embry the the final Embry for singular performances here. Uh, Kate Winslet, Titanic. Come on, let's not let's not be. <laughs> Thick here, <laughs> not with not with you and me, Julio. Don't play daft with me. You know she's great in that movie. Well, and you're a bigger Kate Winslet fan than I am, so gotta respect it. Um, Marisa Tomei. Difference being, not Oscar, but the wrestler. I guess we had it a little bit different. We went to um, oh. Christoph Waltz with this and <laughs> defining our supporting and leading actresses differently. Uh, but neither of them go home with the Embry, the true spirit of the Embry. Leah Thompson. <laughs> for her role in Howard the Duck.
2: Okey dokie. You know, I got a feeling
3: my life's really gonna change since you fell into a ducky. Yeah, well, I'm glad somebody's happy. If I could just get my career back on course, I'd only have the old standard worry left. What's that? I just can't seem to find the right man. Maybe it's not a man you should be looking for. Ah. Uh, you think I might find happiness in the animal kingdom, ducky?
1: Uh, I th- I can't remember if Sam would even concede that of how good she was in that movie, but <laughs> Leah Thompson as Beverly Switzler, uh, is it the Cherry Bombs? Is that the the band that she's in? In that this it's, sounds about right. Yeah, her dedication to the wardrobe and doing her hair every day. Her hair would take like three hours to do, and she's funny. Like she's genuinely funny in a lot of the movies. She has some good lines. She's clearly into it, clearly trying to use this as a springboard. And obviously this wasn't what launched her. um, A little movie called Back to the Future came out shortly after this. But a genuine effort, even if she knew on set this is shit (laughs) and that this is just not good and not going to go anywhere, you wouldn't know it by watching her in this movie. And obviously from a, a male perspective, I have to get this out of the way unbelievably hot yep. in this movie that's that's not for nothing cole <laughs> uh but she's funny she's uh, very commanding of the screen she has a very unique energy and charisma about her in this and again like i said from the the start when we were or from the gad i should say or from the episode william huck did not create goodfellas william huck did not create seven samurai <laughs> he made just an okay movie that got a really really unfair bum rap and one of the really really good parts about his okay movie is Leah Thompson and again to what this is all about a complete embodiment of what the Embry award uh the Embry award excuse me is meant to celebrate so leah thompson take a bow milady
0: but don't go too far um, guess <laughs> i might be coming back to the podium <laughs> <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> uh, but before that i i want to call out a couple other uh leading actresses that i considered you know we, we haven't talked at all about greener grass and uh but i i found Good. myself <laughs> going back to it because okay so you guys listen to the episode It it was greener grass was not a movie for alex and i and in fact, it was it, it. almost became the movie that broke the contrarians in the sense that it was really hard to do contrarians' corner about it because it was just so... That brand of comedy is very difficult to argue against, to work our gimmick on. And we managed. And uh, and then in real talk, as we were talking about the movie, I kind of realized that I something that I admired in the movie was the performance from uh, Jocelyn DeBoer which is uh, basically the main character, the closest the movie has to a main character. And it also happens to be one of the writers and directors of of the movie. And she was, uh, you know, the the movie doesn't work. It doesn't work as a narrative. And, you know, we talked about that at length. But she has individual moments in her character. She's trying to keep a semblance of continuity in her uh, character uh, development in a way. You know, she has uh, this delivery of lines where she's never... Sure of whether she's supposed to be agreeing with someone or laughing at something, you know, she has that insecurity of somebody that's trying to fit in into this society that the movie is making fun of, and I think it was commendable. I, in a way, yeah, she's not the funniest element in the movie. That would be uh, what was the guy from Saturday Night Live, yeah, with the water with the pool water subplot. Oh, Beck Bennett. Yeah, Beck Bennett is probably the funniest thing in the movie, but I think Jocelyn De Boer has more to do, has, like, a harder job, and she does, you know, what she can with it. I mean, not enough to get her an embryo, but but I felt like I needed to mention it. It's, it's part of Contrarian's history now. Also, along the same lines, like kind of, like, giving points for effort. I, I want to call out Meg Ryan in, in the cut. Like, we disagreed on... on- how we took that performance and you really disliked it. I was more like, I'm intrigued because it's it's so different from the Meg Ryan that I have in my head that it was, uh, I kind of want to reward the fact that she she went for it. She got naked with Mark Ruffalo and she's just like, this is not a romantic comedy at all. This is not playing to my strengths. It was, the movie is overall considered a failure, but I, I kind of like give props for her effort. She's she's done better. She's had better performances, and she's been in better movies. But it's still, you know, I'm like, I'm glad that you know, I want to reward the effort, the the spirit of the Emery. Uh, but then you guys heard me in the Howard the Duck episode. I was so invested in that relationship between Leah Thompson and the Duck. It just that is quite an achievement to have chemistry with a an animatronic. She she sold it. There was like whole sequences where she's just there, on the verge of making out with this duck, like really carried. They have a tearful goodbye when she
1: thinks it's that- almost like having something in front of you to act with is beneficial.
0: <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure to a classically trained uh, actress like Leah Thompson, that makes a difference. Uh, no, it's it's she's she's great. I like, how could anyone. Not love her in that movie, even if you hate everything else. The, right, she's just going for it. She's just having fun. She's committing. She's never embarrassed of the movie she's in. I don't think that anybody in that movie is embarrassed of the movie they're in. You know, at least not in the moment. Uh, maybe later on, they, they might have uh, you know, tried to distance themselves from it. But even the the
1: the most problematic actor in that movie had a really funny <laughs> yes. performance. Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, on kind of a meta level, like I've, you know, after we did the episode, I kept like kind of looking into other connections of, you know, Howard the Duck's history and, uh, like, Leah Thompson, she doesn't, you know, she kind of uh, relishes her role in Howard the Duck and her connection to it. He apparently she wrote, she collaborated with a in a comic book story, like a Howard the Duck story arc in the comics, and uh, I want to say somebody, it might have been. One of our listeners, maybe it was Ryan. I don't know. Somebody mentioned that, you know, she had actually tried to pitch herself as director for the Howard Duck movie for Marvel. She likes the character. She likes the the story. I mean, it's just, and you can tell, you know, she was, she was all in during the, during the movie while they were making it. So it's so great that she walks away with, with two embryos.
1: Double fisting. Yeah. Yeah. That part, I always, in my mind, there's, well, one from the male perspective of just being a gross dude that part where she's playing the guitar and then does the splits. I remember, I think that was the last time I was watching like something where a woman did something and I audibly went, oh. I, I just <laughs> had such a sincere reaction to it. But from like just the the level of levity and just fun she brings to it I always think of the part where Howard falls asleep and she's going through his wallet and she finds (laughs) the condom in there and she goes Howard and like (laughs) just starts like kind of you know smirking to herself it's so good
3: Howard what am I gonna do with you Ducky
0: that's a Uh, poor Sam Hurley it must be getting dizzy from how much he's shaking his head
1: I remember him like almost like logging off when we recorded that (laughs) I said no I've seen a bad Marvel movie before I've seen Thor Ragnarok and like the just guttural (laughs) noise he made well gotta be honest did not expect to see Leah Thompson clean and shop here so uh, it's been an unpredictable award ceremony this far and so now we move on to the Pied de Resistance, the Coupe de Grasse, as it were, the main event. Get Michael Buffer out here to take us home. In the category of film, Julio, in the Morrissey going home, uh, we already talked about the happening. We buried that adequately. So I'm just going to go ahead and remove that from my honorable mentions. So I have two honorable mentions uh, Extinction, that movie sucked. <laughs> that movie was terrible. There wasn't anything offensively bad from a performance perspective. The main thing we harped on was you have Lizzie Kaplan, and she's great, and you she's in you know 10 minutes of the movie type thing. Yep. Um, just not good at all. Uh, Showgirls, obviously, we go into detail about why you and I – you should listen to our episode if you care to hear this, but Julio and I – talked at length and went into detail about why we don't agree with the idea that it's a movie that's so bad. It's enjoyable. It's just a bad movie. Mm -hmm. And there's, we definitely have our reasons for that from a plot perspective, but I mean, Gina Gershon's okay. And like, there's some novelty to some of the stuff we've talked about, but yeah, it's in reading over the list of movies we did, it, it was up there with the worst for me. Marriage Story, again, would be too predictable in this role. Uh, you all know I don't like it.
0: You already vented your hate with the with the Scarlett Johansson Award. Now you yep. can rest easy.
1: Yeah, but the Morrissey should be, it should come as no surprise to anybody. Mine goes to Hancock. I said on the episode, and I have said it is one of the very few movies that I reserve the word hate for. I hate that movie. I I was listening to uh, Ian of Six One Six Entertainment talk about Halloween Five recently, and he was he said um, I'm just I'm getting to the point of because I'm going to steal his inflection, but he said he watched Halloween Five for this retrospective he was doing, and he said it's the last time I watched that fucking movie. I fucking hate this movie, and that's how I <laughs> feel about Hancock. Our episode for this because someone actually plorped down money that they conceivably worked <laughs> for for us to do it. That's why I committed to it, but that's the last fucking time I ever watched that movie. I fucking hate that movie.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, shit.
3: I'm all right. I'm okay.
2: All of you people blocking the intersection, you're all idiots. You're the one that threw the dude's car at her.
0: And fuck he with the train? Why didn't you just go straight up in the air with the car?
2: You, straight up. you obviously injured that poor woman. She's right. She should sue you. Yeah, she should sue you. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, you should sue McDonald's because they fucked you up. All right? Yes. Yes. And, and I can smell that liquor on your breath. Yes. I've been drinking, bitch. You're a drunk asshole.
1: So, Peter Berg, Will Smith, Charlie Theron <laughs> can all fucking cram it jason bateman is okay because he provided at least a few moments of levity in that but fuck that movie and yeah this is one i wouldn't even hand over the embryo i would just drop it on the (laughs) podium and walk away
0: just kick it over to them
1: yeah just like unbutton my blazer and just take like be taking it off as i'm walking off stage fuck this
0: Uh, I mean, clearly, I had Hancock on my short list as well. I I wouldn't even make it an honorable mention just because. Uh, if you heard the episode, if you listened to the episode, I, I agree with Alex. That movie was just fucking atrocious. Check my letterbox. I gave it half a star. <laughs> it was it was terrible. But but, and I said it when we recorded. There is something to the idea of a superhero that has PR problems and the PR guy that tries to teach him how to be a good superhero. It accounts for 50% of the movie only, and it's not even done that well. But that's why I kind of decided to pull back on the, on the Hancock hate for the Morrissey, like for the movie Morrissey, for the film Morrissey. Because I'm like, there was something at least. You know, at some point in the development, yeah. there was the germ of an idea, maybe Vince Gilligan's first draft that I think had the potential to be an interesting movie. And then it just got diluted and development process made it into a mess. But Hancock sucks. Nobody should watch Hancock. But I gave my honorable mentions to other types of failures, starting with Daddy Daycare, which was a patron request as well, a patron demand, although I don't think that Katie and OT expected us to like it. I think they just wanted to have a good time hearing us being positive about a movie that kind of wastes uh, Eddie Murphy as its central character. Is Eddie Murphy playing a very uninteresting dude. It's not he's not being particularly funny. He he lets Jeff Garland and Steve Zahn do the heavy lifting, and they're great, but they're not remarkable. You know, it's just it's all very blah. And I just feel mm. like when you have that kind of talent, it's it's kind of criminal not to use them better. Uh, so they get an honorable mention. Also, an honorable mention, and, and you could have seen this coming. Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight: Jason Takes Manhattan. Because I felt you like, son of a bitch. I'm sorry. I know that it, it works for you because you're invested. If you're Alex Mattis, it's the eighth installment of a franchise you really enjoy. When I I experienced it a different way. For me, it just felt like like a filmmaker and and, and his crew kind of coasting along on the reputation of a franchise that was a money maker, but not really Pun
1: intended on the Lazarus.
0: <laughs> ah. No, but but let's pretend it was. Uh so I was just it was a slasher movie. It it was a slasher movie on a boat and then in New York for a little bit at the end. But I remember the the big the boxing match on the roof. Hell yeah. That that is kind of memorable, you know. But but overall I've seen better slashers and it's not even my genre, but you know. You you've kind of taken me to the greats. In, in previous years, you know, we did the. It's true. How many Halloween movies last year? <laughs> all of them better than yeah six, uh, I think. Yeah, all of them better than uh, than Jason Takes Manhattan. They, they certainly were more interesting to talk about. But ultimately, and and maybe you could have told this because I it, <laughs> this movie already got a couple mentions. But I think the worst thing we watched last year and in in the sense of just what that movie was trying to do what that movie ended up accomplishing that was jade william fritkin's jade karen let's get these to the
2: lab what are they well either he collected pubic hair or he's auditioning for a clara lad
0: Poor William Fritkin does not deserve to have his name attached to the movie, but yet there he is as as the man who directed it. Written by the same guy that wrote Showgirls, so no surprise, Joe Esterhaz. It it feels more like a Joe Esterhaz movie than a William Fritkin movie, like I said on the episode. It's just... It's nothing. It's it's meant to, I guess, be disturbing, to titillate you maybe, to be provocative. It does none of those things. it's kind of boring. It's a bad movie that I personally didn't find it entertaining. You know, it was fun to talk to you about. But uh, I know after listening to our episode, our friend and patron, Dan Brennick, he watched the movie and he had a great time. And I'm like, that's great, man, because <laughs> I didn't.
1: Glad someone did.
0: Yeah. I don't like what it did with... Uh... Again, you know, you have talented people there. I I know I just yeah. gave Linda a uh, Morrissey, but I know she's a good actress. It's just that the movie doesn't do anything with her. Chaz Terry, you know, kind of a contrarian favorite. And again, it's just, they give him a, a, a character that's kind of like does nothing. And it's it's supposed to be scary, but that's, that's it. Uh, and then fucking David Caruso, already talked about him at <laughs> Dawson. You know, and then you get to that really weird ending where it's trying to like rattle you by by letting the bad guy win it, it just there's no build up to it. it it's just it's a mess I mean showgirls is the worst thing that we watch quality wise as in like my god I don't want to sit through that ever again but that doesn't mean that Jade is any better it's just that Jade is shorter and uh, it's a, a, at least a little more competently put together like there's a couple of like you know chase scenes in the car that were kind of exciting and it has uh, uh it has King King <laughs> who, who just missed his uh His Embry this year, but still, it just gets Morrissey.
1: All right, Julio, it all comes down to this the Embry for film in the past year of The Contrarians. Uh, Only one runner up in this category and might kind of come out of left field, but when I was looking over the list, I was thinking of movies and my immediate reaction to them wasn't things that I went into with a lot of. Uh, you know, backstory a la Titanic, um, which I really, and I really like whiplash. I don't know if it would be up there with these, but you know, Titanic, Robocop, um, the wrestler really enjoyed Spider-Man into the spider verse. That was a good one too. The sixth sense, which I knew was good, but not, wasn't sure. And, but that obviously it was affirmed there. Pain and gain. I love the master. Obviously I fucking love, but these were all things that we knew. So when I was (laughs) giving out this award and I wanted to make sure to give it, to what deserved it and to what was the one that I had the most uh, positive reaction to and surprising reaction to. Uh, so my runner up, we're going to have to go back to, uh, I believe it was the month of March that we covered this movie and uh, also expanded the canon of the term Baccarat Blind. And that is Baccarat, <laughs> which was uh, a request by, was it Paul, I believe, mm-hmm. from yep. FilmBusters, Yeah. Yeah. And we did just that, went in background blind, watched this movie on like a Sunday, I think, a Sunday morning before we recorded. And I was just absolutely blown away by what I saw. Absolutely loved this film. And it's, it's become rare that on here, it's exceedingly rare, in fact. I can list on one hand the amount of movies we've done like this, and that's the brilliance of having patrons, that can you know throw something our way, but this was one of the movies we've done that I had absolutely no context or knowledge of going into, and was just over the moon about it. The only reason I don't own it yet is because the Blu Ray is hard to acquire for less than twenty dollars, and as much as I love physical media, twenty dollars is still where I draw the line. Uh, so Baccarat, all my praise, loved it. Wonderful experience talking about it and covering it, and just what a film. Udo Kier. Rocking the shit. <laughs> it's one of those movies, too, that, like, the majority of it, there's this impending sense of violence is coming, but you <laughs> you have no idea how violent it's going to get. It's it's just wonderful. Love it. Uh, but the winner for the Embry for film here in the, the past year, the year of 2021, 2020, 2021, here on The Contrarians goes to a movie that you and I both had like a revelation of of how good it is when we watched it, uh, and especially with me coming in thinking that it was borderline mediocre, and that is M. Night Shyamalan's Signs, starring Mel Gibson, ah. Joaquin Phoenix, one of the Culkins, <laughs> Abigail Breslin.
0: And M. Night Shyamalan himself, don't forget.
1: Of course, in his best acting role, by the way. <laughs>
0: yes, yeah.
1: We talked a lot about M. Night Shyamalan and his filmography and specifically, you know, his big contributions to the industry, uh, be it positive or negative. And Signs, without a doubt, has to be his uh, forgotten masterpiece, at least for me and the, the circles I've surrounded myself in. Because it's always either Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, or he was never that good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't hear people gush over signs that often the way you and I did when we recorded that episode. And I stand by it. I really do. I think it's there are some issues in it. There are some plot holes. The CGI at the end is really bad. Um, There's a couple parts that drag and don't make sense. But overall, it's just a fantastic film and tremendous acting and one that I would not have garnered an appreciation for to this level had it not been for us doing this podcast. So in the spirit of that, I thought it deserved the Embry.
3: What's the matter with everyone? Eat. Maybe we should say a prayer. No. Why not? We're not saying a prayer. Bo has a bad
2: feeling. I had a dream.
3: We aren't saying a prayer. Eat. I hate you. It's fine. He let mom die. Morgan.
1: I am not wasting one more minute of my <laughs> life on prayer. Not one more minute. Understood? <laughs> now, we are going to enjoy this meal. No one can stop us from enjoying this meal, so enjoy it!
2: <laughs> stop crying! Cram. Don't Just yell th- at her!
3: Since you're all not going to eat, I'm going to try some of everything.
1: So, Julio, that covers things on my end. Where's your big one going?
0: <laughs> so, we have uh, we have some agreement here in the sense that uh, I also, I have Baccarat on my honorable mentions. And I really, I really wanted, for a while, I was like, I should just give it the Embry. Because it's just so perfect as far as the, what the Embry is supposed to be. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of like this this small movie that does big things and it just uh, you know it's Ethan Embry. It's just like <laughs> these filmmakers got together and they they told this story that's just bananas and they executed well and I was glued to the screen and it was just so much fun. So it was pretty close to winning it. Also close to winning it uh, Sling Blade because mm-hmm. it one. was just you know another one that neither of us had seen it. And it just—we both walked away from it, going like, "Man, it was just as good as everybody said." <laughs> it was just, and then you put it in the context of it's—you know—Billy Bob Thornton wrote it, directed it, starred in it, and uh, and and that was it. You know, that then he was a Hollywood player, and that that's just great. Um, but what it didn't do that my uh, my eventual winner did is uh, it didn't like change my mind. I expected the uh, sling blade to be good and uh and then it was better than i expected but it was kind of like in the end i was like it makes sense um yeah i have a similar winner to yours but i went in the other direction because i'm giving mine to the sixth sense i want to tell you my secret now
3: Dreams while
2: you're awake. Dead people like in graves and coffins, walking around like regular people.
3: They don't see each other, they only see what they want to see. They don't know they're dead.
0: Nice. I think the key difference is that you and I went into the our Sixth Sense rewatch from different perspectives. Because you might remember, I was not as hot on the Sixth Sense. Like, you went in and you're like, it's a good movie. You already knew it was a good movie. And I was more of the, oh, it's an okay movie with a good twist at the end. And I don't think it's going to hold up watching it a second time when you already know what happened. And then, surprisingly, it's actually a better movie on rewatch at least in my experience. I yeah. I was just really floored by how much more emotional it was watching it, knowing that Bruce Willis is dead the entire time and how, how well it works. Uh, not in a logical sense, because, yeah, I mean, we pointed out the episode, like, logically, there's a lot that's just, well, <laughs> it's just Shyamalan waving his magic wand and saying he sees what he wants to see. And then that's, <laughs> you know, that's kind of like... These a-
1: are not the droids you seek. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's just like a wallpaper that goes over all the plot holes. And I'm okay with that because, like you said in the episode, remember, like, you're like, when you're that invested, you just power through the little plot holes and the whatever leaps of logic that you have to make because the, the emotional stuff is so good. And it made me reevaluate Haley Joel Osman's performance, which in my mind had always been just this kind of like, oh, it's okay, but it's just a kid that whispered a lot. And I was like, oh, no, he actually does so much in that movie. Yeah. Uh Tony Colette, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, I gave her the embryo because it just now coming into it, knowing her as an actress was so much more pleasurable to see her all those years ago and still being as great as she is now. Bruce Willis was fine, <laughs> you know, he didn't <laughs> blow me out of the water, but again, it's like, hey, remember back when Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis in the movie didn't mean that the movie was already starting with a handicap, you know, he's still like solid, he cares, and Shyamalan just being a good director. It, Yes, I gave him the the Morrissey for his cameo, and like I said, that's more of like a cumulative thing from all the other cameos that he went on to do. But even that doesn't ruin the movie. It's just it was just so good. And ultimately, yeah, he's not an actor, but uh, it this was his I think we said his third movie. And you could sense that there was a guy that had finally kind of, like, found his stride. And he went on to carry it, at least in my opinion, for the next three movies, you know, he did. Mm -hmm. Sixth Sense, Unbreakable Signs, The Village. All those movies have their problems, but it's just such an impressive quartet from a filmmaker and it all starts here he was the Ethan Embry at that moment you know, he just he took his chance and he did everything he could to make the the sixth sense be a movie that was gonna resonate throughout the industry and it did it's just a personal thing did you know you had that take once he said I see dead people you're like got it yeah when he when he said it but when I wrote it I thought it was overwritten and it is overwritten it's a little it's a little young for his age but I needed to get the plot all in one, one line, and I was trying to... So it's not, it's not particularly well-written, but he... <laughs> right, That's, like, a, one of the most famous lines in movie history. It's not. It's, like, it, he's 10, and I wrote it for, like, a. it's really a 6- or 7-year-old, would say. It's oh, like, yeah, I was really yeah, going to complain yeah, about that yeah, after yeah, the movie. Yeah, I, uh,
2: so, you're off by four years. Yeah, so, <laughs> Boo! I'm happy. I'm that happy. was the best line ever.
0: So, yeah, the, the Sixth Sense gets my... It's my Embry for movie, which means that M. Shamalan now has an Embry, a movie Embry for The Sixth Sense, and has a supporting actor, Morrissey, for The Sixth Sense. <laughs> what a life.
3: The
1: Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. <laughs> yes. Heavy lies the crown. <laughs> All right. So twist. that wraps up. <laughs> that wraps up. This year's Embry Ceremony, as always, we appreciate y'all being here with us, and those that contributed, uh, we appreciate y'all the same, and it's not too late. If you're listening to this now and you want to shoot over any of your uh, winners, losers, honorable mentions, we welcome them. Uh, But Julio, that wraps up year seven, on to year eight. On to year eight. We got plenty in the cannon here to go. Uh, before we get out of here, though, for the Embry ceremony, we do want to make sure we, as always, give a thanks to the people that make this machine run and uh, some of the people that help contribute and make what we do possible. Uh, we start off by giving thanks to the Festive Years, who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to the FestiveYears.com for any and all Festive Years needs.
0: Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Ruth he's the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our website, on our Patreon page, on our merch. The man does it all. He likes doing things with our little tomato logo, just putting him, putting the little tomato in different situations. You can check out his work on his website, mildemonios.pe, that's m-i-l-d-e-m-o-n-i-o-s. You can check out his podcast, Nación Combi. And Marginal, one is about Peruvian current affairs, the other one is about economy. Uh, You can check out his books. He has a whole bunch of zombie novels. most recent one is a fake Peruvian history book that tells the Peruvian history as if it was populated with zombies. It's called Historia del Peru. Uh, You can reach Hans on Twitter, at Mildemonios. You can email him, Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. Just tell him how much you've enjoyed his logo over the past few years of contrarian goodness. Hans... Thank you for all your support.
1: And we also give thanks to Miss Zoe Perez who helps out greatly with our social media game. If you haven't already, go to facebook.com slash prime. On there, Zoe helps upload and edit, post some exclusive videos to our Facebook uh, where we give trivia, intros, opinions, factoids on movies that we're covering uh, that week. And also on Instagram, if you haven't already, at Contrarian prime, give us a follow. On there, Zoe posts some audio clips, videos, interactive graphics, a lot of stuff that Julio and I are too old and crotchy to figure out how to do ourselves. Uh, Zoe, we appreciate all that you do for us. And lastly, thank you to the people who have been listening to this. If you' this is your first episode, you've been listening for one year, two years, three years, or if you've been along for the whole journey, we greatly appreciate our fan base, uh, and that's why we continue to do it. So Julio, here's to year eight, where... You and I will continue to be right, while our adoring listening public will continue to be wrong. Whatever the case may be, we appreciate you all, and we'll catch you next time.
0: But patrons, don't go yet, because there's an after party on the patron channel. Just check out our uh, patron awards. The the <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. But It's uh, still for a more work time. in progress. <laughs> yes.
1: But yeah. We're hanging around the green room a little bit. We're taking our bow ties off, and we'll uh, we'll be on the, I don't know, Facebook Live or some <laughs> shit, whatever they do now, these <laughs> award ceremonies. TikTok? But yeah. <laughs> the after party's over on the patron, so we'll catch you all there.